Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're going to be talking about Doctor Strange. Things about to go magical. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hi. Hello. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, and then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 262-262. Our penultimate episode. That's that's not true. That is not no, the case. No, not. <laughs> we, are, we, do, we did not plan to end at 263. <laughs> that's not how things work here. That that'd be a weird ending. Final palindrome. Yeah, but it is a palindrome. You're right. You got that. You got a numerical palindrome once again. Um, and this, <laughs> whatever. This week we're talking Doctor Strange, uh, the 14th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Pretty soon they're going to be driving. It's been a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, learners per minute, yes. That's, yeah, that's correct. But uh, yeah, and joining us today to just to talk Doctor Strange, we have from Battleship Retention in the More Than One Lessons podcast, his inner sanctum, hardly knew him, it's Tyler Sith. Hello. <laughs> That's all I got, sorry. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm most, glad to be here. How good. about that? I like that. I like that part. That's good. <laughs> most recently from your local comic shop, he also has a cape with a mind of its own, it's Adam Gentry. Hello. Yeah, no, Adam. I think it's been it's been a little while since you. I think it's on. been uh, ten years. <laughs> it's, it's, been, yeah. it's been a little while since we had you had you back up. Well, we had one, but we the the pod the recording messed up. So I bring it out. You got lost into the ether. Yeah. And, That's uh, right. Tyler, good to have you here as always. And um, just wanted to point out, you guys on your podcast on the Battleship Retention Cast, you guys uh, recently celebrated your 500th episode. That's incredible! Uh, yes, Congratulations. That's... Oh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting, and uh, a lot of people said some very nice things uh, about that. And so, you guys keep at it. You'll get there. <laughs> well, thank you. We're yeah, young I'm not good apparently. at math, but it's going to be in the area of 237 weeks, I think. Thank you. Yeah, that's oh, okay. that seems right. about accurate. Yeah. For anyone that you know wants to check out Battleship Pretension, they have a whole five-part, 500-episode extravaganza over there which is a lot of good fun on that on those episodes i've listened to three out of five so far i'm working my way through and i'm enjoying them three out of five that's uh that's that's 60 percent that's that's a d it's, yep that's a passing <laughs> that's a passing grade it's there passing you. but yep. it's it's pretty low <laughs> okay um, you are passing battleship retention let's do whereas most people pass on it <laughs> Is that hey, the motto? Oh. There's a lot of math going on right now, guys. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get to some show notes stuff real quick. Um, I'm gonna get this out of the way first. iTunes reviews and ratings. It's good to get those. It helps out our show. Helps other people find our show. If you want out now to also get to 500 episodes eventually, log on to iTunes, search out now with Aaron and Abe, give us a star rating. Maybe you can give us a uh, a, a review or some kind, and we'll uh, be review. able to keep this thing going. Couple sentences. So we had a contest um, that started last month for our, our horror specials, uh, and we asked uh, the listeners if they wanted to email us in with their uh, their picks for the, the favorites that they'd have in those various genres, and that every email they sent, they'd get a, a they'd get a, an entry into our contest uh, where I'd eventually take one of Abe's old dirty ratty hats and put all those names in there, and uh, I'd choose a name out of a hat, 
and they, someone would win a prize. Well, I now have that old, dirty, ratty hat that they provided me. <laughs> That's not true. I have a fresh Marvel Studios true. hat, actually. actually I think for, it's from for this week's episode. I have a, I have a yeah. fresh Marvel Studios hat from Comic-Con. Uh, with the new logo, which was recently seen in Doctor Strange, which features the new Marvel Studios logo. Uh, was that a fun logo, guys? Say. You know, I liked guess? it. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not as simple and kind of clean as the original, but it was kind of fun just to, you know, have a little little motion. It's the kind of logo where I don't need to see it all the time, but it's like, oh, that's like a nice, like, new thing they added with all, like, the different characters and stuff. Like, well, yeah, uh, I actually, I, I talked about it in uh, one of my one of my classes at uh, UCLA because um, we were talking about uh, like multimedia storytelling and, uh, and I brought that up because it almost seems like Marvel as a, as a movie and TV uh, entity. It, it, uh, by showing now, you know, clips and images from uh, past movies and not having like comic images or the sound of like <clears throat> the pages, pages flipping or anything like that, um, and then it zooms and it pulls out and it says Marvel Studios. It does seem like they are kind of cutting off the the comic book aspect. I mean, obviously they're based on comic books, but it's almost like they're with this film. It's almost like which I think is maybe the most cinematic film that they've made. Um, it seems like they're they're saying we are our own thing. We are no longer tied to this i mean obviously they are but like we it, it seemed like it almost seemed like a declarative statement to me about uh what viewer expectations should be well we can get back to that more when we talk about dr strange as a whole let's do this contest real sure. quick let's uh i'm gonna hey before we, we pick the name out of the hat i want to read some emails that we got just because we, got, we did get so we did ask for like a favorite and like a reason why it's so true we got a, we got a few things here this one is from uh this was from from chris says, hey guys, love the show and have been stalking you guys for the past four years. I have a love of B-movies, so really difficult to choose a favorite. So I have ended up with a top three, uh, Brain Dead, or Dead Alive, just due to its craziness and comical gore overload. Using a lawnmower as a weapon is just pure genius. Evil Dead 2, as it's a masterpiece, giving scares and laughs in equal measure. But my pick of all of them is the 1966 British film, I'm also from England, called Carry On Screaming. It's an incredibly camp film, which had me watching it behind the sofa through my fingers, but also had laughing out loud at the tender age of seven. Thanks for the great podcast from Chris. So that's one entry we got. That was obviously Seven for, is pretty young. That was obviously for, you know, horror comedies. Yes. Uh, this one's from Dion. A uh, long-time listener, um, he writes that the subject line is "ha ha 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 kill," so I think it's horror comedies. <laughs> uh, he writes, "Thanks for all your horror movie bonus episodes, and I thought it was great that Abe was there for most of all of them. Uh, for what it's worth, my favorite horror comedy is every new episode of Out Now that has Abe absent, and your guests do a laughably <laughs> horrible job for taking Abe's place. Um, aside from that, I'd say, wow." <laughs> Uh, it's mostly when I say the stuff like TM or something like that, they they just miss it. But thanks, thanks, Dion. As- aside from that, I'd say Dion's Fre- bringing some heat this morning. Aside from that, I'd say Freddy vs. Jason. Growing up in an age where my aunt would rent VHS horror movies and duplicate them, Freddy vs. Jason was the first time I had seen either of those iconic characters on the big screen. I'll keep listening as long as you guys stay as great as you've always been from Dion. Thanks, Dion. Uh, let's see. So Dion basically finishes by saying, "And just don't suck." Yeah. That's the best advice, right? This one's from Jake. Um, it's for con, for for uh, zombie movies. 
It says, hi guys, I've been really enjoying all the genre specials. My favorite zombie movie is Night of the Living Dead because I honestly think it belongs on the short list of the greatest films ever made alongside Citizen Kane and Star Wars because it is really that influential. Somehow it's a civil rights picture, invented modern zombies, popularized suspense tropes seen in everything from Texas Chainsaw Massacre to Deep Impact, and is also incredibly tight. Really, there's not one misstep. Even that girl's acting and the Grammy film stock work, to, work thematically. Uh, P.S. How do we get Scott Mendelson on a podcast? I just ask him. That generally seems to be the, <laughs> the way I do that. Uh, that's from Jake in Green Bay. And, Go Packers! Uh, let's see. I'll read one more here, and then we'll pick a name. Uh, this one says, uh, Horror Genre Picks for Contest from Tyler. Hello, Aaron and Abe. Here are my picks for my favorite horror films and their respective genres discussed on the shows. Slashers, Halloween, nothing beats a classic even though it didn't come first. Carpenter's Masterpiece is arguably the best. It still holds up and remains an annual Halloween watch for me. Everything from the classic score to the surprisingly memorable characters makes this a standout in the subgenre riddled with mediocrity. Monster movies, Creature from the Black Lagoon. There are films with arguably better narratives, but I always love this film for simply being fun. Let's not forget how amazingly well done the water scenes are for 1954. Found footage, Devil's Pass may not be my favorite found footage film, but since I don't think you guys mentioned it, I want to shout it out. It's not only satisfies my horror, my history itch, but it also is surprisingly effective horror film with a pretty, uh, pretty unique setting and plot. A pretty decent film for being a random Netflix pick one night. Horror comedy, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. While I think this is more of a comedy <laughs> than a horror film, this is still a film that I revisit often because I love it so much. It's a film that just got. Just, just so goofy and strange that it's difficult not to love or at least be curious about the, the goings-on. The practical effects are fantastic and the comedy still holds up. I still cry laughing when the clowns blow up. The balloon dog to sniff out Mike and Debbie still patiently waiting for the sequel that's promised supposed to be in the works. <laughs> and zombie movies. I don't watch a ton of zombie movies, unfortunately. However, I was... I, I was borrowed... I borrowed Slither from a friend and I... I slither from a friend, and I still can't believe how much I enjoyed that film. It was in instantly classic for me. I love the plays on the tropes, such as a goofy sheriff and the quiet, sleepy town that is rocked to the core but these by these creatures. I guess it's not a zombie movie in the classic sense, but it ultimately is a great time. That's everything. Let me know if I forgot to add something best from Tyler. All right. And the winner is... Well, let's let's go to the hat here. Let's, uh... <laughs> the sorting hat. Yeah, the sorting hat. Anna, could you, uh, could you hold the hat for me? You shake it around. Shake it up good. I have entries from everybody in here. There's others also that I didn't mention their emails because they were shorter. Let's see. Here we go. I'm looking towards the wall. Here we go. I'm picking out. I'm going to pick two. I'm going to pick two out of the hat. Here's the first one. It is Tyler. Tyler is one of our winners for the contest. Here we go. Here. You're shaking it again. A lot of shaking. Okay. Here we go. Picking out of the hat. And the other winner is Justin. So Justin and Tyler win the horror genre contest. So thank you all for entering very much. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Anna, for shaking the hat around. That was a key part of all of this. That was very clutch. <laughs> you Okay. <laughs> all right. So that ends the, the horror genre contest. We got the names there. Justin and Tyler, uh, feel free to email us back. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, congratulations. Email us back with some addresses. I can send some prizes your guys' way. I think you, one of you might have won something before, but email me anyway so I can figure it out. I don't know, podcast at gmail.com. We'll double check. And yeah. just, once again, shows just how easy it could be to win something on our podcast. All you have to do is out is email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com whenever we name one of our very simple contests. One of them might win Ice Age Meltdown? One of them might win Ice Age Meltdown. I do have that Blu-ray lying around, <laughs> so we'll see. Let's All move right. on now. Let's get, to, let's get to know everybody. We each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to know, know everybody. everybody. All right. Abe, why don't you start this one off? Do you guys uh, know any uh, card tricks or magic tricks? I know some card tricks. 
I don't. Okay. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm like a card smith. I have no idea what the the name of that kind of thing would be, but I'm not. I don't know what it is. Yet. I can do a thing or two. They're not particularly snazzy, but you know. I'm lucky if I can successfully shuffle cards. Yeah. <laughs> I could shuffle. I used to know one like one like quote unquote magic trick with cards that my mom taught me, but I forgot the exact steps. So, uh, but no, I'm good with some cards. I'm not flinging them across the room like Ricky Jay or something like that, but you know, I got, really I just wanted to make a reference to Ricky Jay, world famous card thrower. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have a question. Yes. What's the best mustache? Uh, in what regard? Well, and well, generally, what would I say? What's the best mustache? What comes up first in your mind? I guess would be the, but like, what kind I, of I style of mustache? Types of mustache. Yeah, you know there's types of mustache. I mean, look at just watch True Grit. You get like a, you get like 30 different mustaches right there. <laughs> like a Fu Man. Well, it's got to fit the face. I mean, it's got to be the right. It's got to be the you know the right one for the right face. If you've not got the right face for a mustache, you shouldn't you shouldn't do it. Um, gosh, I mean, you think about just about any mustache from the movie Gettysburg. That those definitely come to mind because there's some serious serious mustache power. I kind of think if you're going to have the mustache, at this point you kind of need the beard or else you look weird if it's just kind of floating around by itself. Well, if you got a big bushy mustache, I mean, it might discount the necessity of a beard. Yeah, but that's just gross. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with the uh, the Wyatt Earp uh, tombstone mustache there from Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Not too thick, but kind of thick and you know, clean looking. So there you go. Tyler, you're a, you're a bearded gentleman. Do you, do you have any thoughts on mustaches in general? Uh, I tend not to uh, like them for the most part, but um, I will say that uh, while I do have an appreciation for the big, bushy, Wyatt Earp, uh, Al Swearengen-type mustache, mm-hmm. uh, there's something to be said for the, uh, the Errol Flint, um, yeah. which is just... You know, very small, but doesn't look. But it's not like a pencil mustache or anything like that. It doesn't look sleazy. Yeah. It just looks classy. All right. We really should give a, a little shout out to Salvador Dali, though, at this point, because sure, if you, if you want to talk about you know iconic iconic mustaches, you know that there's a lot going on there. I I agree. I would <laughs> agree. I'm, I'm always happy <laughs> when we shout out Dolly and Ricky J on the same podcast. So it, it's really working out this week. I'd say. It's, it happens so often, right? <laughs> all right. Well, that's how you play. No, no everybody. everybody. It's good. That was good. All right. Let's move on now. Let's get out of quickies. Jim? Each week and out now, we have one movie that we talked about. We always have movies that we see during the week. That we're going to quickies. Jim? That was pretty good. I thought pretty so. clear this week. I was feeling good about it. I had some water. So yeah, good. you even slowed it down just a just a hint. Um, Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? Yes, I did. I uh, I watched Jack Reacher Never Go Back. <laughs> yeah, and it is the best family comedy of the year. So uh, it's not very good, which is unfortunate. And I enjoyed the first one. Uh, the second one here seems to not have a very captivating mystery that Jack Reacher trying to solve. It seems more just. Uh, very uh, weak characters in terms of the the bad guys and motives, um, and, and again when that Anna Paquin Jr. comes on the screen, I just got really annoyed with her for a long time. 
and kind of a very dissatisfying movie. So unsatisfying movie, uh, kind of a, a letdown. So yeah, Jack Reacher, never go back. Title screen is not very good, just like Batman vs Superman. <laughs> yes, that is right. I had deeper problems where it stuck out to me with B- Bibbs Dodge, but um, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. That one too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Adam, have you seen any other movies recently? You know what? It's been a busy week for me, so I haven't had a chance to to get out and see anything. But uh, at night, I have been relaxing with a little bit of Freaks and Geeks, which has been a lot of fun to kind of unwind with some some classic TV that was cut uh, far too short too soon. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, nothing nothing much at the theater for me recently. Freaks and Geeks is a is a great show. Uh, Anna and I yeah, recently we we started we we watched the pilot. We're in you know the, we're at the beginning of our, our rewatch, but uh, yeah, it's always enjoyable for sure. And that's seriously one of the greatest pilots I think that's ever been made. It does a lot. It's a you lot know of why? Characters to introduce. Why? Because it's because it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Tyler? Have you seen any other movies recently this week? Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, a surprising number uh, given how busy I've been lately. Um, I saw. Let's see, Symbiopsychotaxoplasm Part uh, Take One. Yeah. Uh, from 1968, I think, uh, which is an absolutely marvelous movie. I think every film lover should watch it. I think you would. Uh, it's it's surprisingly accessible uh, given the title, um, and it's just a, a film in which the people making the movie are wondering what it means to make a movie, and uh, often wondering aloud. And it's it's very strange, but it's it's absolutely invigorating. So I saw that. I saw Manchester by the Sea, which I don't think I'm officially allowed to talk about, yeah. even though plenty of other people are saying stuff about yeah. it. Um, and then I, but it's it's great. I really liked it. And then, uh, let's see. I watched the two animated uh, Dark Knight Returns movies. Oh, that's the, okay. Part one um, and two. Right, basically. And uh, and I enjoyed those uh, quite a bit. And what I find interesting is that, uh, you know, the animated version of The Killing Joke did not work for me, but the I, animated versions yeah. of Dark Knight Returns do work for me. And I think it has to do with the type of writer that Alan Moore is versus uh, Frank Miller. I think Frank Miller is more inherently cinematic uh, as far as his structure and Alan Moore is more literary. And so if somebody's going to adapt one of his comics, like as faithfully as possible, I think it's going to make for an unsatisfying film. I, but anyway, I, um, I, but and no, then, I'll get back to that. Cause that's, a good, think, that that's a good point. I, cause I, I, I was also not, not nerf mixed reaction would be saying the least about killing joke as far as how that went in its release. But I do think uh, the, the dark Knight. Uh, Returns adaptation, I think it is very, especially since it's, you know, t- it's, you know, it's two parts. It's taking that whole novel essentially. It's not really trying to cut it down, but it does make it itself its own thing to an extent, just because of the having the, you know, the animated aspect to it, as opposed to just making a motion comic, which is what I actually thought was an issue with the Year One adaptation, which is also Frank Miller. Uh, but I, I feel like they did a they did a really good job with the with putting together Dark Knight Rises, taking their time with it, and actually doing something. We're killing joke. In addition to Alan Moore's material, just not lending its... I mean, they had to create a whole 40-minute prologue, essentially, to make it around, to make it into an actual feature. I just... Yeah, the material doesn't necessarily lend itself to 
an animated film, and it just it it's very uncomfortable to watch for various reasons. Just there's a lot of things about it that just didn't add up. And I what didn't help was that it seemed like they rushed it. Like it's because it just felt very stiffly animated. The the yeah the, the um the voice like aside from Mark Hamill, it didn't feel like the 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 voice actors were all that like like uh, Kevin Conroy. As much as I like him as Batman, he didn't seem as invested as I've seen him be pre- in previous Batman iterations. Like it just it felt off, which is weird. Well, and it's arguable how much uh, like Mark Hamill did a good job and all that, but it's arguable how much that Joker should have been the one from the Killing Joke. Uh-huh. You know, um, like that the way he interprets the Joker is is very good, and he made him a little darker and stuff. But that that characterization of the Joker is not remarkably malleable. You can't throw him in the middle of stories that aren't Batman the Animated Series or the uh, the uh, Arkham games basically uh, have Paul Dini write something and the Mark Hamill will probably be the best Joker. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the killing joke, it, it did feel like rushed through. And I think it's, I think it had to do with the animators wanting to be as faithful to that material as possible. Obviously they added that prologue, but like they want to be as faithful to the material as possible and not even, and not make any changes in order to make it more cinematic, which is why it feels rushed and it feels kind of perfunctory. However, Dark Knight Returns, um, I don't know, there's just something about the way that, uh, I'm not saying that Frank Miller is a better writer than Alan Moore. I'm just saying that his sensibilities and the stuff that he writes is more lends itself more story-wise, structure-wise, and visuals to um, and visually to uh, to a film adaptation. And so I feel like uh, Dark Knight Returns was way more satisfying than um, than the Killing Joke uh, was, which uh, is the is for me the opposite of the comics themselves. Which makes sense to I mean, as far as adapting it for a some kind of cinematic feature because i mean killing yeah. joke is you know it's a one shot essentially you know it's a brief one shot comic where Mark, uh, frank miller you know he's put there are multiple issues that are all that all unfold over a certain amount of time and has yeah it has an, an arc right. as, and, and so forth um and then the last thing i saw last night was uh michael mann's black hat which the, uh, i uh yeah. and was it good well, had is you, there had you, had is there you some kind before? of thing here no, 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 I had not seen it before. Okay, I've never seen it either. Uh, and I loved it. Um, I am, uh, I'd say, I'm a Michael Mann fan, but he's he's a filmmaker that because he doesn't work super often, um, he's a filmmaker that I forget about sometimes. And anytime I see one of his movies, even if I don't really care for it, like I didn't love Public Enemies. Um, or Miami Vice, but his films are always interesting, even if I'm not in, if I don't actually enjoy them. Whereas Black Hat was interesting, and I enjoyed it. Uh, Black Hat, I enjoyed, but I get, and but I, it's, it still feels like lesser. But it's compared to other man films that I really enjoy. It feels like a lesser man to me. But I, there are aspects of it that I think really work, and I'm always, I've been curious because I know there's a like a director's cut that he put together out of it. I'd be very curious to see what that's like, how much different that plays. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, you know like a minor Michael Mann film, but the more it's I think minor about man, it, the more I, minor man. I I tried to avoid saying that. Yes, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I find myself thinking that I I feel like a lot of directors that are getting a little bit older um, 
are in their minor phase with the possible exception of Martin Scorsese. But like, you know, when for me, I can't think of the last like Steven Spielberg film that felt like essential Spielberg. You know, it's been, I think, mm, over a decade for me at this point. Um, and uh, and Michael Mann is just in in that phase where I think he topped out probably at, at The Insider. I enjoy Collateral. I enjoy Ali. But I feel like, you know, his heyday was very much the 1990s and for whatever reason he just has been making films very well but not nearly as essential as as the ones that he made in the 90s it's a longer conversation but i because i do think collateral Indeed. i think deserves quite a oh, i love some collateral. regard just because of his because he can finally use digital photography in the way he and you know portray night the way he really wants to but i i get i see where you're coming from with that and all i want to add with black hat would... is chris hemsworth has a tactical scarf that comes in handy and that's quite good for him. He sure does. <laughs> I saw it on HBO recently. I saw like the end on HBO recently. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, he's wearing this big scarf and that's going to come into play. And I was like, how does he do it, though? And then like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like it defends him from harm. And it's like, good on good on Thor slash um, hacker uh, Chris Hemsworth. Now. He does a good job. It's like Dr. Strange's uh, cape, you know? Yeah, yep. exactly. It's just like it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, I saw a well. I saw one. I was saw one new thing that I wanted to make note of this week. I saw a film called Morris from America. Have you guys heard of this? Oh, film? okay. Yeah, that's oh, one yeah. with uh, Chris Robinson or Craig Robinson. Uh, Craig Robinson. Yeah. yeah. I, I got the film to review on Blu-ray, and I hadn't seen. I heard good things about it. I know it was debuted at Sundance. It had a lot of strong ratings, and I watched it, and it's really good. Um, it's about Craig Robinson and uh, an actor, uh, Marquis Christmas, who plays his son. Um, they have recently moved to Germany. Uh, Robinson's character is a widower, and it's just a it's just a really solid like uh, he's like 13 years old, so like junior high comedy type thing. It's and it's and Robinson's very good. I read that um, for those that are Mr. Robot fans, Craig Robinson was on this past season of Mr. Robot, and I I, re- I read that uh, the Sam Esmail, the creator of Mr. Robot, he like saw a couple scenes from Morris from America, and that's why he's on it because of the dramatic capabilities he's turned out in uh in this hmm. movie and I, I i really enjoyed it i thought it was a really really solid uh feature film cool one to one to recommend i would say morris for america and uh, yeah that's out no please jim let's move on now let's get to our trailer talk and we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week when it's coming out what we thought of it what have you and this came out a couple weeks ago actually but we never actually talked about it on the show it is pirates of the caribbean colon dead men tell no tales I believe that's the longest yet in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, as far as titles go. As far um, as number of words, yeah. Yes, yeah, the, the the franchise is enduring both in length and in title length, so it, it's very, uh, it's something. I do think the Curse of the Black Pearl beats it. Does it? The Curse of the Black Pearl. The Curse of the Dead Man Tail Note. Yep, you got it. One word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Articles. Ah. Uh, but here we are. I'm just saying when you get when you get to episode 500, you you notice these kinds of things. <laughs> good, good to oh, yeah. oh snappity dizzle, snappity d. I'm sure that was the Battleship Pretension episode topic once. Longest movie titles, but uh, a mad, uh, mad, it mad, wasn't, mad world but... aside, I, I think we can <laughs> talk about the. But you know, it's good that the Pirates Caribbean franchise started out strong then by having the most words and then going down from there. I guess that's the way to look at it. It's kind of appropriate. Well, with that said. <laughs> What did you guys think of it? What are your what, do you guys have thoughts on the on the the franchise in general? It's enjoyable. Uh, the I first think one there's it... uh, some some neat things to see in terms of the the studio lots and the expansive set design. 
but some of the characters I, I cared less about as the storylines went on and progressed, and Jack Sparrow kind of just really holds it down for me. Tyler, what were you saying? Holds it down in a good way or a bad way? Oh, in a good way. In a good way. Oh, I'd okay. say a bad way. That's, um, that's biological. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like if you hold a person down, that's a bad thing. Uh, well, I'm not waterboarding I guess them. Ben's... Okay, I see. Well, like my yeah. pro- um, my problem with the um with, with the fourth one is that because they took out the lead characters, which were Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley's, they just left up to the, the side character who was Jack Sparrow, and that movie did not work at all. It's horrible. Um, but I like those first three movies quite a bit. They have. Flaws, I, you know, really like the it. first one is, I think the first one's fantastic. The second one I don't like. The third one I like bits of. But the problem with the, them is they're just, they're just too long. They're just too damn long. I liked the fourth one, actually. I thought it was fun. Um, oh, it was better because it was shorter. Um, but I mean, ideally, I think there's a really fantastic 90-minute Pirates of the Caribbean movie to be made. But I just don't think they'll ever do it. I mean, I saw this trailer. I don't really care. I mean, it doesn't really look that interesting. It's one of those franchises that's it's still going, but I don't, I don't know why, aside from just the fact they want to cash out. Tyler, I ran over what you were about to say. What, what were you going to say? Uh, I mean, I I pretty much agree. I think the first one is is pretty great, and I think one of the reasons that it, that it is great is because the the Jack Sparrow character was new and fresh, and we were just like, who is this guy? This is so fascinating. What a you know, I mean, Johnny Depp was nominated for Best Actor for that movie. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. I'm not saying he shouldn't have been. I'm just saying, like, how, like how impactful must that uh, performance have been for the stodgy old Academy to acknowledge it? Um, and so that first one is pretty solid. And then there are elements to the second one that I like. The third one, I think, is mostly a mess with a couple of neat ideas in there. Um I do also like the character of Davy Jones. I think he's a really neat, uh, a really well-designed character and that sort of thing. The fourth film I saw on a plane, and so I don't have much memory for. Uh, and then this one, it just looks like more of the same. I think they they were Adam. I think I was it Adam that that talked about uh, the removal of uh, the leads, uh, Orlando I, Bloom and Kieran Knightley. Oh, Aaron. Oh, Aaron. Okay, I'm sorry. All these people with uh, A's for their first names <laughs> is uh, exhausting to me. Um, but yeah, and so just based on the trailer uh, for the fifth one, it definitely looks like they brought in another young, bland, good-looking guy as a to be sort of a foil to uh, Jack Sparrow because you do sort of need a straight man. And so, that's what Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley were, because if you just leave Jack Sparrow out there with nothing stable to bounce off of, he's just completely uh, off the wall. And it's there's I can't really relate to him. But if you have somebody else there, I think it, it grounds his character a little bit more. But you yeah. can relate to him as a pirate as far as the attitude. What? Yeah, well, he has <laughs> someone to play off of, not not right, to play, right. relate to him like specifically, but as far as. Right. Seeing right. how he, he how his interactions are fueled by various emotions or what have you, yeah, I understand that. And I think he's a good he's a good reactor to things and circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. But if he's the one leading the charge all the time, uh, I feel like that can be you know a little uh, disorienting sometimes. But mm-hmm. this new one, it's just like oh, it's Javier Bardem in the standard like oh, this character is dead. I guess I don't know who gives a shit. Yeah, and, and 
Also, too, I mean, the the his cohorts all seem to basically be just reused Davy Jones pirates. Yeah. So it's not new or interesting at all. I mean, that's the the bummer. I mean, if you're going to make another one of these movies, why don't you at least try to do something different? I would love it if there was, you know, a pirate captain that they were fighting that wasn't dead, and it was actually you know, not supernatural at all and more grounded in reality. I think that would be that'd be fun, and that would actually might that might be the most revolutionary thing they could do is to actually <laughs> play it a little bit straighter. Hmm. Yeah, to be fair, the, the one thing they really did introduce various. Um... The what the the um, human villains? Yeah, human villains. The like the Tom eh. Hollander character and what have you that proposed a supposed threat to Jack Sparrow. What about what Norrington in the first film? Yeah, but that guy is just trying mm. to get Kira Knightley. Yeah, he's not necessarily a villain. I would say he's kind more of, of like fool. the uh, the yeah he's kind of the the uptight inspector yeah. uh, type of character. <laughs> um, that you know what I'll tell you what jumped out at me in this trailer is uh what what they've done with um uh javier bardem's hair where it is like despite him not despite him being on a ship his hair moves as though he were underwater um and i remember thinking like that's a neat idea they do stuff every time every once in a while they'll do something like that in this series that i think like that's a really neat idea um but yeah that's the only thing that jumped out at me so two thumbs up to Javier Bardem's hair. <laughs> once As again, usual when once it comes again, to Javier yeah. Bardem characters. It's usually his hair that, that really sells it. Well, yeah, he went for the he went for that classic eighties look in No Country. He went platinum blonde and um, in Skyfall. Sky <laughs> <laughs> the 3D looks good. That, okay, so you you saw this movie in the trailer in the theater? I did, yeah. I I've only seen it on TV so far. I want to be more optimistic. I really hated that fourth one. It, it, I mean, at this point, I would actually love just a small pirate caper. Yes. You know, like not everything has to be like huge. I would, honestly, I would love the idea, and this is a little bit too uh, reductive, but I would just love just a small Jack Sparrow-led, essentially like a pirate heist movie, uh, where they're like on one island and they're trying to get something, but because they introduce like these supernatural elements, like they have to do it every time and it's always bigger than life and it's quite exhausting. Well, given the, the, uh, the amount of, you know, money these things have made for Disney, I'm surprised there hasn't been like a, you know, a TV show or like an animated series or something where they just do that. Well, you know, and the Broadway shows coming out and, you know, (laughs) but I love that one, particularly for, for, at World's End, um, which was just so, so long, um, the Keith Richards cameo is one of, I think, the greatest cameos in, in recent recent movies. No makeup uh, needed. Heard, say what? No makeup needed. <laughs> no makeup needed, yeah. <laughs> okay. And you can also, you know, imagine that he would have, he's, you know, he's that old. He's found a way to, to, to last <laughs> this long from the you know, pirate days all the way through today. <laughs> I heard that a rumor actually they were had been trying to get uh, Jagger I think for the fourth yeah, one uh, to do a cameo and they couldn't they couldn't make it happen but that would have just been amazing. All right, well with all that talk, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean: colon, Dead Men Tell No Tales opens uh, next Memorial Day, May twenty sixth, twenty seventeen. Uh, so that's that's out there. All right, 
Let's uh, let's get into it. Let's get to the, this Marvel movie. Let's get to our main review for Doctor Strange. This doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. Through the mystic arts, we harness energy and shape reality. We travel great distances in an instant. How do I get from here to there? How did you become a doctor? Study and practice years of it. There's a strength to him. But is he ready? That should have been some of the trailer for Doctor Strange. This is the, as I mentioned, the 14th entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it finds us back in origin story territory as we're introduced to the brilliant and ego-driven Doctor Stephen Strange. A car accident ruins his hands and leads him to seeking recovery in Nepal. There he meets the Ancient One, played by Tilda Swinton, who opens up Strange's mind to the world of mysticism. As he becomes skilled, more skilled in magic arts, Strange finds himself as the one who can stop the nefarious rival magician played by Mads Mikkelsen, with the help of Chiwetel Ejiofor, Benedict Wong as a librarian, and Dr. Rachel McAdams. Strange will do what he, <laughs> he can to protect the magical sanctums uh, that keep Earth safe. Tyler, you were on our Civil War episode, and as I recall, you were not completely enamored by that film. And so I have to ask, As I have to ask, do you prefer these more standalone MCU adventures? And uh, what did you think of, of this one in particular? I don't necessarily prefer standalone. Um, I mean, my favorite of the of the Marvel films is the Avengers, which is the exact opposite of standalone. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, this I, I think at this point I'm just looking for something that feels different, or f- at, at the very least feels unique. Um, my big issue with, well, one of the big issues that I had with Civil War is that given the content, which is, you know, heroes fighting each other instead <clears throat> instead of villains, um, that it didn't feel different enough. Like this should feel like a, a, a big moment, almost as though even and I think it's it was a problem because we all we all know that we're building to the Infinity War movies. And because we know that something like this can't be a climax. Uh, you know, and so uh, it felt like just another movie in the series, and it really shouldn't feel that way. Whereas this film, uh, Doctor Strange, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it felt notably different, uh, and different in a way that I think fits the character just great. Uh, because he just exists in, in a different, not a different world, but I mean, he just, the stuff that he deals with in the comics is so different than what the other characters deal with that uh, the film really had to put that across that he, the Doctor Strange just operates on a whole other, on a whole other level. And, um, and I think the film absolutely did that. And I think the character himself is really strong. I think the arc of, of Dr. Strange is very strong. 
And I mean, everyone's talking about the visual effects, which is understandable because it's been a while since I've been as dazzled by visual effects as I was in this film. But uh, but there's also more to it than just how it looks. There's a lot going on in the film, and I really, really enjoyed it. Adam, I, I know you've not necessarily hit or miss lately, but I mean, I, I know you've had you've had some opinions that are less favorable on some of the other more recent MCU efforts and. I think you, you've liked some of the other ones, if I if that's fair to say. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually have a lot of in common with what what, what uh, Tyler was just saying about Civil War. Um, I, you know, again, exa- I think he's exactly right, and it does not feel nearly as as poignant as it should. And they miss a lot of easy pitches in that movie. I think you know the the whole uh, wink wink interaction with Clint and Natasha. Uh, when they're trying to hurt each other about how, oh, you know, we're still friends. Let's go for sushi and a beer later. It just, it just doesn't work. And, uh, you know, anyway, uh, to say nothing about the fact that they spend 40 minutes at the airport fighting each other only to, you know, try to, only to freak out when someone actually gets hurt. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I really, really enjoy Dr. Strange and I was, I was really hoping to enjoy it. And I was surprised by just, you know, it just it feels so fresh in a lot of different ways. Um, Doctor Strange is not one of those Marvel characters that is as instantly recognizable as a Captain America or an Iron Man. So I didn't really know much about him going into it. Um, but you know, Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Chiwetel Ejiofor is great. Dilda Swinton's great. Um, but yeah, and I I like the look of the film a lot. I would argue that Scott Derrickson has a bit to learn as far as shooting action, because there were a lot of times when it was tough to see who was hitting who or what exactly was going on. Um, but I really enjoyed the character. I was really surprised by the sense of humor. Uh, when you watch the trailers, you don't really get the sense that it's going to be as funny as it is. Um, but the film is a lot of fun. I almost felt like his cape in some ways, uh, was almost like a spiritual successor to the magic carpet from Aladdin, mm. just because they have so much in common, and it was just so fun and refreshing. They go to the same bars. I, I, and... They probably do. <laughs> um, I would really hope for any future installments uh, of the Doctor Strange franchise that they would be more self-contained, where you know we don't just have a bunch of Avengers characters thrown in and whatnot. I mean, I know that he'll show up in Infinity War and have his moment but i'm just hopeful that you know this delightful little corner of the marvel universe kind of gets to be its own thing in future installments abe what are your thoughts on uh, the uh, sorcerer supreme uh i want it with uh, fire sauce and uh can i get it with nacho cheese also that so. sounds dangerously unhealthy no yeah it's not great uh <laughs> in any case dr strange i enjoyed it i think that it was uh, pretty good um I'll get into some more details, but I thought it was as good as a any Marvel movie is these days, uh, which is no surprise. Uh, and what I found unique about it was uh, kind of to Tyler's point, not so much that the visual effects were tremendous. They they, they are. Um, but that Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, these guys kind of took a different approach. And I'm, I'm glad that Marvel kind of allowed them to and take John this. Spates. John Spates, sure. Uh, maybe to punch it up with some of the jokes that Benedict Wong, that Benedict Wong has. But um, I'm glad that they took it in a direction uh, that was a little bit darker and um, actually dealt a lot with the subject matter of death, uh, which was neat. Uh, I think that there's a really neat 
and probably one of the best moments in the movie of this slow motion scene with uh, Tilda Swinton and Benedict Cumberbatch and their dialogue. Uh, but uh, aside from that, again, I, I don't. I, it sort of feels like a stepping stone, but it can. I understand its origin story purpose as well, uh, and for that, it's it's pretty good as an origin story. It kind of goes along a little bit faster than I expected with uh, with the. I guess the fall part of a hero storyline. And I kind of compare that to Iron Man where um, you did get a sense of Tony kind of being this really pompous jackass and he has to live in this cave for a very long time. Uh, and then he kind of comes to see the error of his ways. Uh, whereas this one, it kind of takes, I think about like 20 some odd minutes. But with that being said, it, again, visually very great. I think there's a lot of neat things in it. I actually liked some of the direction in it with some of the, the close-up shots of people when they're doing dialogue and or some action sequence to kind of make you feel as though it's a little bit more intense than it is. Um, and I think the script is pretty clever. So on the whole, again, nothing new from Marvel, but I, I did enjoy Doctor Strange uh, for its individual uniqueness uh, in this 14-some-odd movie cinematic universe. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm an MCU fan. I like these Marvel movies for the most part. There's not one that I actively dislike. There are ones that I find more flaws for others. And this one, there are going to be some flaws that I mentioned, but I think on the whole, I I'm happy to say that it's a very enjoyable movie. Um, I, I, I it, as far as what it's doing new, it's very much lent itself to the spectacle much more so than pretty much every other Marvel movie. I think the 3D presentation, let alone the IMAX upgrade. I mean it. It really makes an effort to utilize that well, as opposed to other Marvel movies where the 3D is just kind of like, hey, we can add this on and make a few more, you know, make some more money. This one, it's like there was a conscious effort from Scott Derrickson and his filmmaking team to really add something by having the 3D element. And it works for a character like Doctor Strange, the kind of out-of-body experience that he goes through during this movie and some of the the high-natured mystical traveling that he does, especially when he's, like, first introduced to the Ancient One, I think it's a very creative use of what 3D has to offer. There's some really ingenious pieces of visual magic that's going on there that I quite enjoyed to see. It also leads to the action scenes, particularly the last, like, 30 minutes, to be really wildly inventive as far as what they're doing to make something fairly exciting out of a character that uses magic. I wouldn't expect Doctor Strange to be the Marvel movie that had some of the best action in it, but here we are. Um, as far as the story itself goes, yeah, it's it's very boilerplate, boilerplate uh, origin story, hero's journey stuff. There's nothing revolutionary about the journey Doctor Strange goes on. It's a rich white guy who goes to the Far East <laughs> to find magical powers and goes through the basic journey that you expect he learns things he suddenly becomes the the best of everyone better than all the previously magic adept characters there because he just learns quicker i guess and um i mean he is a doctor yeah he's the <laughs> and, <laughs> he's a mr doctor he's mr yeah. doctor and you know all the the various marvel flaws that are generally in these movies are in there i mean you have a villain who mad mads mickelson he does a fine job playing this character but i feel like i'm not going to remember anything about his you know journey um, come come time for the next Marvel movie, they could introduce me another generic villain. Um, the the score is fine. Uh, Michael Giacchino, he does a good job. I I've heard some people praising it very highly. I can't say that I can hum the Doctor Strange tune off the top of my head, but I was fairly fine with 
what I was hearing in it. The the supporting character, like, there's fun. Like, there's the, the banter going on there. I like Benedict Wong. And Avery and I have talked about Benedict Wong in general. Uh, we like the, the actor. He's uh, my favorite NASA engineer. He's, yeah, he does a good job here. I, li- I really like Chiwetelegi for this movie. I, he has he has the, the best arc of the film. I, Strange doesn't really have an arc. He just kind of, like, gets a setback for a few minutes, and then suddenly he's really good at things again. Um, not, and even the Benedict Cumberbatch casting in general, I thought he's he's fine in the movie. It's not the most... When I the, the, Ever since I first heard that Benedict Cumberbatch was cast as Doctor Strange, like, well, that seems very obvious. I wish they could have went somewhere more interesting with, like, reverse Chiwetel and Benedict. That would have been an interesting way right there. But uh, no, for the most part, yeah, it's very... I, I found it to be, like, an entertaining film um, that has some really interesting th- things in terms of the spectacle, which I'm sure we'll get into more. But, uh, you know, as a another entry in this series, it doesn't do too much to kind of differentiate itself beyond, you know, the kind of the layering of who this character is versus other characters. I think, too, it's one of those movies where it actually feels a little bit more unique at least as far as the way marvel's been going because a lot of these films have just had just kind of been overpopulated with characters and there's been a lot of cross-pollination so to have something that's kind of can stand on its own a little bit i mean it's kind been of a, a refreshing it's been a bit of a well, i mean even saying that i mean i guess ant-man was its own standalone adventure last year i mean it Sadly, I still haven't caught Ant-Man, and I'm, I'm bummed about that. Well, if you say that, I mean, that, of course, that only leads you to basically talk about the mythology uh, of MCU adventures, because they're, well, we had Civil War and an Avengers movie. I mean, the, those are movies that will naturally be cross-pollinated with a lot of different Marvel characters. But uh, Right, and but, you know, there's obviously some debate as to how well something like Civil War works, though, you know. Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess if you're telling me that, yeah, it's been a while since you've seen essentially an origin story or standalone adventure you're right like there hasn't been many for a right, while but even prior to that if you want to talk about um you can go to you know winter soldier for example which was one of the first ones where you really had characters from other marvel movies showing up and, and being you know pretty pivotal members of the of the cast um and you know obviously some, something like guardians of the galaxy has got a lot of star power and whatnot i was just you know I felt like this one had a little something different to offer from what we've been getting recently. I'd argue Doctor Strange has more star power than Guardians did. I mean, that movie had Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana, like, you had people that, like, all right, those are fairly familiar. But this has Benedict Cumberbatch and Tilda Swinton and she would tell Edgy for Benedict Timothy Carlton Cumberbatch. Exactly. Yeah, you got Oscar nominated actors in this movie, right? But I I hear what you're saying. I know, as far as recent Marvel Actually, offerings and how to mix I'm it up. I'm curious about the, what people really liked so much about the visuals, because I thought the visuals were cool. I mean, it was like being inside a kaleidoscope. But at a certain point, I kind of felt like, okay, I get it. I know what we're doing. And I kind of felt like it was a little annoying at some points, actually. Well, Tyler, let me ask you, since you thought the film was maybe one of the more cinematic efforts from Marvel, what you, do you think of the visuals? Well, I think that it... Uh... I think it. I, what first excited me about the movie is when they announced that Scott Derrickson was going to be directing it. Uh, now, as it happens, this is the first Scott Derrickson movie I have seen, but I know that he is a horror director. And the idea of a horror director making a film that is not inherently uh, or really in any way uh, a horror film, <clears throat> that idea, but one that is mystical, one that deals with the supernatural, that idea really – fascinated me and i think that 
knowing some of the things that I know about Derrickson, I feel like he is all over this movie. And so when, you know, for me, when Dr. Strange is first introduced, um, to the world of like the metaphysical and it's, and he's just like launching through space, but also seeing like these very strange images, like his fingers growing hands and those fingers growing hands and stuff like that. And then it zooms into his, you know, it zooms into his eye and it turns into a lot of like smaller hands and stuff. That's horrific imagery. Um, and it's very strange and trippy and intimidating and overwhelming. And, you know, even, and I think it added a little bit of oomph to uh, the usual like training montage or learning montage that you get in a lot of superhero movies. And so, uh, and just the fact that, um, and, and when the city is stretching this way and that and, and being reconformed and and that kind of thing. uh, Yes, it is. That is the kind of thing that we have seen uh, in inception, but, there is something I think, but I feel like the, I think that this takes it several steps beyond Inception, which I didn't think was nearly as imaginative as it should have been, um, given the fact that they're dealing in dreams, whereas this is dealing in like a twisted reality um, and or an alternate reality in some cases. And that I, I think is remarkably uh, imaginative. Um, just I found myself asking less like how did they do that because we know how they did it they did it with computers you know that's the answer to everything these days but my question was how did they come up with that how did how did they decide oh you know what would be weird and trippy is if you know these fingers grew hands you know uh, and then the hand and then those fingers grew hands, and it just moves on from there and so i think for me some of the imagery um Including, you know, like uh, Doctor Strange being like hit by Tilda Swinton and he falls, but then his like astral form falls faster and further. Like stuff like that is very interesting. Um, And so I just think that moments like that, it's not that they're groundbreaking, but I feel like honestly in the Marvel movies, which I think have become less and less ambitious over the years, I think this is definitely a high point as far as a director willing to see how far he can go and how far he can take the audience. I think there's, there's a lot to that for one thing. And I agree with a lot of it. And the, the idea of having a, you know, a a filmmaker driven Marvel movie, that is something that stands out a bit more. Now I can't say having seen Scott Derrickson films, uh, I I can't say there's, there's necessarily like a, an idyllic quality that makes me go like, wow, this is what Scott Derrickson does amazingly. But seeing something like this compared to what like the Russos have offered with the cap with the latest Captain America movies, or even like Peyton Reed, who was you know just brought on to Ant Man after the fact, like there's there is a kind of a committee type feeling to what it's offering. Now there are some spectacular spectacular visuals in some of those things. I mean the the, the for Ant Man, which I find to be fine, like there is real, there's some thrill to get have in seeing you know the shrinking power and process or whatnot, and seeing how that affects the the world around him. And w- Civil War, I think the best example that you brought up when we talked about that film, Tyler, is that you know you have this giant airfield or you know a, a tarmac for these characters to fight on, and it feels more claustrophobic because of how you have all you have only so many characters in a space that seems so wide open. So it's like well we should have chose a different location for this to make it really seem more epic than it can be regardless of how fun regardless of how fun that sequence is 
and you look at something like the DC films, now as flawed as they've been, particularly the Zack Snyder ones, there does seem to be like a filmmaker's vision behind those films. They do they do seem very cinematic for what they have to offer. They, they, the various edits, cuts, what have you, to make a film more, I don't know, marketable, whatever Warner Brothers wants to claim is why they're kind of compromised the way they are. The kind of the look of those films is something I can recall a lot better than trying to, you know, name directorial stamps that are found in a lot of the Marvel films. I would say the the one I can constantly think of when it comes to which one's most the most filmmaker-driven um, would be uh, 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 the first Avenger uh, with uh, Joe Johnston's direction because it felt very stylized. It felt like it really had yes. something going for it. Mm-hmm, I, I really I enjoyed the period aesthetic of that film of World War II, and you know, the, the even the look of like um, what '40s Brooklyn. There was a there's an extra edge there. Like there was some, like it didn't look like a real brook, and it just real like, felt like there was a director using basically matte paintings, although he probably used you know digital backgrounds or whatnot. But like to really give it a kind of a different kind of shine. Not all not all these films kind of lead to that sort of quality. The Avengers films, I mean, they're 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 more dialogue. You know, it's, it has the Whedon quality. Who's he's not necessarily that very yeah. visual director necessarily. It's not something you look for in that kind of movie. Sure, but yeah. the, you know, right. there's something. There's something that seems less like I, I definitely need to study these shots to really get what I'm, what's going on in these films. Now, I'm speaking as a layman compared to directors that actually know what they're doing. So, I mean, I'm speaking a bit out of turn. I've seen your movie. I've seen your movie. <laughs> but uh, my Godzilla movie? Yeah, it was pretty fantastic. Yeah. It was co-directed by Anna and I, so that's, that's what happened right there. <laughs> but looking at Doctor Strange, to, to, you know, to, to address what you're talking about, Adam, I mean, I, yes, there's... I mean, you kind of you kind of get it after a while, but I think that what that that opening seat, not the well, the opening sequence of the film really gives you like a preview for what's to come with the fight that's going on and they're walking on walls and stuff, and it's like, all right, that's pretty cool. But that scene when the ancient one and encounters uh, Strange for the first time and sends him on that wild trip, it was like this is like 2001 in Overdrive. That doesn't no, make that it better than great. That doesn't make it better than 2001, but like there's. Like you mentioned, the hands growing hands that grow fingers that grow hands. Like that's the there's that shot when he like enters the the eyeball and he's grabbing on to like the lines in the eyeball and he's crawling. Yeah. It's like this is crazy. Like this is, I, I have not seen this before. And, so perhaps perhaps yeah. I was a little bit inarticulate. My my I was I was my point was more to the the kaleidoscopic stuff with the cityscapes yeah, when I the buildings would move around. I wasn't knocking that fantastic montage at all and and whatnot. And there's Certainly, def- you know, I, I really, I agree with, with you guys as far as just how groundbreaking that was. But yeah, my point was just yeah. more to the whole, you know, cities you know, doing backflips kind of thing. Yeah. So I, want, I want to pick back off of what uh, Tyler was talking about with just the the cityscape stuff. So yeah, the cloud of soap stuff we've never really, or we've already seen that stuff. But I, I kind of was expecting a little bit more of that from Inception as well. Um, but for my take, it, it just looked really clean and sure it's computer made, computer generated. Uh, or green screen, whatever. But it it looked really well done, and I think that I really appreciated the thought put into it. Sure, the minutiae of the hands growing out of the hands, but also whenever they're fighting in a sequence like that, okay, well, this guy's going to be running on this plane because it's level for him or her, and they're going to be falling on this plane, but they can also manipulate the time space. And the execution of it, from a page, I don't even know what that script would would look like. I mean, aside from exterior shot fighting in kaleidoscope effect, it's like I, I feel as though there was a lot of thought put into those sequences, and I really appreciated the care uh, on that level. Yeah, I think that's 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 what 
I like about the the seed, the city sequence is the way the characters are manipulating it uh, right. <clears throat> to suit them. Like as an action, like as 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 a spectacle sequence. Yeah, we've seen stuff like that before. But as an action sequence where people are bending reality to hurt somebody else or to escape somebody else moments like I think that there there Derrickson showed a lot of control over that and and a lot of thought as you said so uh, one one very you know innocuous example of this is when uh Doctor Strange creates this universe and then Maz Mikkelsen is walking in the middle of a street and to part two cars he basically just creates this fractal and that was really neat I was like oh that's yeah I guess you can do that because what would happen to him if the car hit him? Probably nothing, because nothing can really be affected. But he can affect that that particular reality in which he's in, uh, or that world in which he's in at the moment. So uh, something like that, where it's just s- super simple and not very you wouldn't really notice it as a as maybe a casual moviegoer. But yeah, that's uh, that's the kind of level of care in the, uh, that they take. I want to think about. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go go. And. That moment, it's just every time it could do something obvious, I feel like it doesn't. I mean, it's from from an action standpoint, like there's a sequence where, you know, time is going backwards, but our characters are going forwards and they're fighting each other in that way. And what's interesting is that, you know, we've seen characters fight each other in the midst of a disaster area. And, you know, debris is just as much a danger as the villain. But what it's interesting here is that and and that's the case with this scene as well, where people could get hit by, you know, walls and that. But in this case, it's not walls falling down. It's the world reconstructing itself uh, that is actually something of a danger. And so moments like, you know, Mads Mikkelsen being pulled into that wall uh, is really fascinating to me. And it's it's another example of, you know, it's a fight in the midst of a disaster. We've seen it in. Avengers movies we've seen it in other action movies but they just they put just enough of a twist on it that makes it a uniquely Doctor Strange action sequence and to that point and we can't obviously get into spoilers but the way that Doctor Strange ends up handling a problem at the end of the film was so uh, refreshing for a superhero film because Damn he right. ends up using his intellect in a, in a way that most characters would end up just using their fists. And just yep. the way that that goes about was just, that was something I, it was really original, I thought, for, for a superhero film, and particularly for a Marvel film, you know, just to kind of take your expectations and to completely subvert them and do something that was really fresh. Yes. So even before that, though, I think that the, the whole entire movie, it really... The lead up to the last 30 some odd minutes of the movie is uh, it's kind of just a precursor, right? So you've seen all this world bending and you've seen how they kind of stylize fight and hallway fight and whatever else. And then the ending kind of it was a really neat approach. And I know I don't really want to give it away for anybody who's going to see it. Tyler kind of alluded to it, uh, but not really at all. Um, But it's just it was a unique experience, and I'm glad that they, again, took the time and care to think about when things kind of go back into place, this, you have to account for that. And it's kind of actually, again, to Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, the, the idea, concept of death, there's a lot of people dying in this movie, and I really 
like that Marvel has been like, okay, well, you know what? Uh, if we're going to allow it, then sure. Um, phase three is we're going to let directors kind of have a little bit more touch in their movie, and here you go. Are people dying, though? I mean... There's there's only <laughs> kind of like one real death, but... Uh, it, which is the, basically the, the death you kind of expect in this movie, aside from sure. possibly the villain. I mean, the... Yeah, the, the the major consequences I think are pretty much the same that go on. And but I, if anything, I liked how they, if anything, they're made even better because of the way the plot works. Where where the where the where the civil where civil war has to deal with the, with the fact that so many cities have been destroyed, and this right. one's like, is it really all that incomplete? Like they literally have a mere universe that can make them avoid having to go through massive destruction of things. That's true. That yeah, was I, so I fun when you're hearing that was just so comic booky and fun when they're like oh my gosh invaders from the dark dimension i mean that was kind of hokey and stuff but it was it was really kind of fun yeah uh but uh, a, eric, eric yeah. yeah go ahead i want to turn it to a different point so if you had yeah, yeah i was gonna i was gonna remark on it in something else too i was actually gonna follow up on something that you had earlier well, um the, but go ahead well what the i'm curious if you did you guys feel it was very breezy this film like by that i mean breezy well, in terms of yes, it, or were you cold in the theater? No, was it? <laughs> did you feel like because this movie's not very long? Uh, it without the credits and without like those those um the two credit cookies that are in there, the movie's like a hundred minutes at most. Like it, and for a, a Doctor Strange origin story, it feels like more should have happened or whatnot. It feel like it, and there wasn't much chance for this film to breathe. Like I, I'd say the film does slow down a bit when it's in the whole month like training right. stuff. But at the same time, it feels like we get we kind of rush through a lot of things to. Well, that's kind of what get, I was talking about when I was comparing to it to Iron Man earlier on. Well, so, Iron Man uh, feels like he goes on a journey for me. Like it feels like there's all you know he goes goes to whatever to goes to um. But isn't that what you? Afghanistan. But do you not want? Are you saying that you didn't want that, or you wanted? No, I feel like well, I feel like that movie does breathe. I feel like it when it slows that's, down. That's what I'm saying. It, it feels that's like what... there's more. The character's more involved. I, right. I, yeah. yeah. So well, you I'm get agree, to learn I'm a little bit more about. The, the the asshole-ness of Stephen Strange, but you don't really in this one. Whereas, yeah, you learned about the asshole-ness of Tony Stark. Yeah. And, I, so, and, anyway. so, yes, with this, so with this movie, it just feels like there's a lot of, you know, it's part of, partly because of the arc of the character, which there, again, there really isn't one for me. Like, I, I watch, there's a, there's a point where Strange is trying to learn how to do magic stuff, and that's really the only you know, big speed bump for him as far as getting back to being on top of everything. Obviously, you know, the crippling of his hands leads to, like, some, you know, sad drama time for him, but compared to someone like Tony Stark, who's, like, basically, like, his whole ideology changes on how to handle right. things. Yeah. Uh, the, the arc, the arc here is, like, all right, he gets, a, he gets a setback, he gets upset about it, then he learns magic, and it's all good again. Like, there's not much for Cumberbatch to do with this character, and I think that kind of adds to why the movie it feels like it just kind of breezes past a lot of stuff maybe it's because just origin stories are so i don't know the the plotting of them is so inconsequential at this point that they didn't really feel the need to flesh it out more but i don't know if there as much of an impact is made because of that well I, i'd probably I, add that it's it's because they're in the the third phase and they're trying to lead up to infinity war that they kind of have to breeze through it because he has to be proficient at his abilities no but not 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 in terms of like what the story but it's just the the feel of the film itself like Mm -hmm. i mean yeah obviously yeah there's movies coming i mean but but this movie if you know i wouldn't be surprised if there's like a you know 20 minutes of deleted scenes that give you more of this person but it feels like Mm -hmm. all that material is kind of cut down tyler did you have something tyler yeah 
Yes, I disagree. Um, okay. So I think the 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 arc of Stephen Strange is one of the more dynamic of the MCU um, because almost all of these characters, with the exception of Thor, but even then his story is he. So many of these characters are coming from a bad place. Like they they choose to be heroes because their life is finally given meaning or whatever it might be, but their lives are fairly vapid and Strange's is as well, but he is very successful and he is doing something that is helpful to people. Whereas like Tony Stark, though he is rich and, and also very vapid, like he is making weapons. And so there's something inherently wrong with what he is doing um don't get me wrong i understand weapons need to be made by somebody but the way in which he is that he is making weapons i think is uh a little bit irresponsible whereas strange so much about his life is the type of life any of us would want to live um and yes he does break his hands but that's that's one of the that's one of the big things that i like about the movies when we see the benjamin brack character and we come to realize that with his new found like magical abilities, like strange could actually repair his hands and go back to the life that he lived before, which was a very, very good life. He's actually giving something up yeah, uh, in order to do what he's doing. And that's, that's to say nothing of the philosophical issues where he, this is a man who has a materialistic secular view of the world who is who, and as a result, you know, I, I feel like, he is someone who feels somewhat insignificant. And so I think he views his job as a way to become significant. Um, and so then he taps into this whole other, this whole other plane of existence, um, a metaphysical one, one could say a spiritual one. Um, and as a result, he, he makes, he's faced with this decision that he can either go back to this life that he was living that yes, was fulfilling, um, but ultimately he has, because he does these things, he has a responsibility. It's the Spider-Man thing, except right. if Spider-Man had, uh, a really awesome life that he had to give up in order to do this. And so, you know, strange goes from a guy who thinks he's got literally everything figured out and has an arrogance as a result. He goes from that to a guy who at the end has certain things figured out like he know strange knows more than the vast majority of people on earth, but that actually provides him with more humility and not less. Um, because he understands, because he starts to understand just how much he doesn't know, uh, by the end. And so, you know, while somebody like a Tony Stark is arrogant and then is humbled, uh, he himself embraced and, and has embraced things larger than himself. And so, and that shot at the end, I think, is actually very, very subtle and small and nice where you show him, you know, he's looking rather nobly out onto the, you know, into the, the world. And then but he looks at his hands and they still shake. And it, it reminds us of what he's giving up in order to to live this life. And I I loved it. I really thought it was uh, from an arc standpoint, from a character standpoint, I thought it was very dynamic. See, what yeah. you're telling me, I agree with. I can. And that's there. But the the movie didn't make that feel 
great to me. Like, it, 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 the movie didn't add up that to me. Like, that's more of me after the fact having to kind of piece these things together. But, like, the 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 impact that the movie was going for, I felt, was lacking in that regard as far as, show, you know, showing me or making me feel or accepting these kind of challenges that this character is facing. You talk about, like, he could go, like, there's a, a chance he could go back to just being the person he was, but, you know, using magic to make his hands right or whatever. But I never really, I never felt like that was made clear to me as that as though like that was he was giving up something you mentioned this final shot and that's that's nice but like the the degree of which i'm supposed to feel that kind of impact it feels lacking and i feel like there's a lot of bits like that that feel lacking there's a there's a point where dr strange suddenly you know puts up a, a harumph about having to kill someone for the first time and I just felt like that came out of nowhere. Like that, like there was nothing in me that said that made me think that Doctor Strange was really like debating whether or not he's supposed to kill this person. Then he gets into this whole speech about how he we signed on to be a doctor to save lives, not take them away. And it's like, where's this coming from? It just there, I it thought felt that like was a fantastic. I thought it was point. fine. That was yeah, one of the best not, moments of the movie. So I, I thought I that'd be, that I thought was... that'd be I thought that'd be a great moment if I felt like Doctor Strange felt conflicted about killing someone, but he didn't. He just did. He killed a guy. Like, and he, I mean, like it, it was totally no... makes sense for him from a from a from his profession standpoint right yeah that so, may make yeah it makes sense but like the, but him, think, him getting emotional about that made no sense to me it just felt I mean, like i had, i didn't see him kill anybody, anybody before that point but i mean but him but, but him in is... the action of doing these things it wasn't like he was like oh what do i do how am i gonna handle this like it, it didn't seem like he just seemed like he was driven to kill this guy and then well, he I mean, started this, to start to talk about you're it. also talking about a guy who's in an extraordinary circumstance for the first time and he's got to react and just handle stuff it's not like he's woody allen is going to have an existential crisis, you know, but before I've, he kills somebody. I'm not saying he needs to have an over-the-top existential crisis, but I've seen that in movies before where characters are conflicted by these choices they have to make, and that did that was not here. Yeah, I, well, I get I what just, you're saying. But, he, but I think it was just, he was reacting. I don't, I don't yeah, I think see it as was being fine. as necessary as you do. Yeah, I, I think the reaction was fine. I think it was just more of, uh, yeah, sure. I also agree with you and Tyler in that I piece things together and it makes more sense after the fact. Uh, and it's actually much deeper after the fact. Uh, on the screen, that's why I really like the the Tilda Swinton Benedict Cumberbatch slow moment part because that's where they're kind of explaining these things that do make a lot more sense. Of, hey man, it's kind of just the uh, the reason to be humble, I suppose, and the reason why you have to uh, take on these responsibilities. It, it's the Uncle Ben type speech, but done in a much more beautiful and cinematic way. Um, not saying that Uncle Ben dying is is uncinematic, uh, but uh, I, I I know what you're saying with the whole entire point of it does feel as though it kind of glosses over some of his roles and responsibilities until you think about it, but I thought it was okay. But the, what's getting at me is that I think a lot of these things, these developments, these realizations, these understandings all come in the you know the la the final half slash third of the movie where you have them, you know you know, you have a speech from Tilda Swinton explaining things or you have shots of Doctor Strange recognizing certain things or whatnot, but the build-up to getting to these points feels unearned because, as I was saying to begin with, it feels breezy. It feels like it's just kind of going through the motions of a lot of what we get from these origin stories. So that, to me, overall makes it think like it's just another origin story. Yeah, I don't disagree about the whole entire just, it's just another origin story, which is why uh, that, that's sort of my, what my, my remark is saying of, well, it feels like another Marvel studio movie which is totally fine because they make good movies but uh, again the the uniqueness comes from the director's stamp and um some of the visual effects and how they they sort of work through that but i'm not blown away by you know stephen strange 
being a jerk and then kind of just uh, traveling somewhere really quickly, learning the the arts and then going on with it. It's not a it's not a Batman Begins type story. Tra- traveling to movie. Asia and becoming the best Asian ever. <laughs> I mean, Three Ninjas. Those guys are pretty good too. They didn't have to go to Asia though. And, yeah, their grandfather is Japanese. But uh, again, yeah, that's part I'm not blown away by. But am I supposed to be? That's kind of the question that I'm I'm sort of asking. And, well, wouldn't, you, um, wouldn't you want to be? I'd want to be blown away by every movie I saw. I'm not I'm not discounting the <laughs> the fact that movies don't blow me away or they do blow me away. It's just more of hey, it's a Marvel Studios movie about an origin of a superhero, and I don't think that their formula is going to change based off of like. Well, we've been doing pretty well for the for past thirteen. Uh, here's here's this new one, and we'll, we'll make it much more unique. I was uh, just grateful they got on with it. I mean, it is a breezy movie, yeah, but I mean, it was under two hours, and the trend lately with these popcorn films is to make them longer and longer and longer. So, and I, I will, I'm not gonna discount, you know, Aaron's criticisms here because I think you've got sure. a point, and it's not like it's a, you know, mind blowing you know, deeply emotional kind of film. But at the same time, I was grateful they got on with it. And, you know, there's an element that I, that I responded to um, as an, from an origin story standpoint, which is, you know, so often um, the origin story of a superhero is tied to whoever the villain is in that particular movie. uh, And their origin is actually a big catalyst for the action. Whereas in this, and this might explain why they kind of move things along, is that all the stuff that Mads Mikkelsen is doing and the stuff that Tilda Swinton is doing, all of that would be happening anyway, regardless of whether he was there or not. And so he literally just gets dropped into the middle of a bad situation and has to learn as he goes. And I feel like it adds a sense of it does rush things along a little bit, but I think it also adds a sense of urgency. Like he has to learn on the go, basically. And I think that's a really neat idea. That's what kind of threw me off too. Where the and I agree with that actually. I think that's a good point. But the it, once like once um, Strange is introduced to Mickelson's character, that's you know we're at the end of the movie essentially because the rest of the movie is them fighting. Like there's some bits mm-hmm. in between where the characters talk, but it's like oh they're, they're, there's no like I thought that that their first confrontation would be like all right that'll be we'll we'll catch up on that later. But it's like nope this is just a whole lot of fighting now. And it's like okay that's that's fun. Like that's a that's a neat way to approach it, but. Yeah, well, it's kind of cool to have a. It's kind of cool to have a moment where the have a film uh, where the villain doesn't particularly hate the hero. It's not like you have this, you know, damn you, Kirk, kind of a moment. It's just <laughs> no, you 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 happen to be in the way, and so I'm going to try to stop you. Well, I don't Nicholson's particularly whole... like you, but it's not. But there's not this level of hatred that you normally get from these movies, where this you know these two characters are really hating each other. Well, Mickelson's whole thing, like his what Calcius, Calcius, um, he, the the character's motivations are, you know, they're from his perspective. You can see why he's doing what he's doing. That doesn't seem to be necessarily evil. That said, he is killing people to do what he needs to do. So, you know, it's inherently evil. But I I, I like what was being provided here. Again, I do think it's too slight because we don't see really enough of him to really get much of an impact. So. That's why I say, by the time we get to the next Marvel movie, we're just really not going to remember much about Mads Mikkelsen, and he just kind of goes along with all the other well-casted villains that have little <laughs> impact on this universe. But that is true. But I, you know, I didn't like what he had that, to offer. I, yeah, yeah. And I think that moment when he's, you know, locked up and is talking about 
sort of his philosophy and why he's doing what he's doing, you know, by way of exposition that, you know, uh, uh, Shiwa mentions, you know, Mads Mikkelsen's, uh, family that he lost and all that. And so later on, so that sets it up. And then when Mickelson is talking about, you know, death and how horrible it is and how he wants to try to live in a world beyond death. What I like is that, you know, yes, it was still expository, uh, in, to, if you add all these things up, then it's just a guy declaring his motivation, like my wife and family died and now I want to live in a world without death, except that he doesn't say all of that. What, his backstory is set up and then he pays it off with his philosophy, but at no point does he say it's like my family or anything like that. And just yeah. from so and the fact that it zooms in on his face and it, and you see that like he he really does feel not merely passionately, but he, he's a more emotional villain than we get uh, a lot of the time. And yes, he's in many ways, he's very standard. But I do like that that uh, that he was allowed a moment to to emote and and show us and strange that he actually he might be doing monstrous things, but he does not consider himself a monster. He th- considers death the ultimate monster. And if he's and whatever he can do to stop that. Uh, and death and time, obviously. Um, whatever he can do to stop that, he'll do it to prevent other people from experiencing what he has experienced. And, you know, again, kind of standard movie villain stuff, uh, not remarkably interesting uh, or or at least unique, but it was at least a nice moment. I like that they gave us that moment. For sure. And, I mean, if you have Mads Mikkelsen and Benedict Cumberbatch in a film together, it's great to see they're trying to out-charm each other. Essentially, that's fun right there. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, compared to Christopher Eccleston in Thor The Dark World, whose plot I really can't remember besides probably destroying Earth in some way, and or yeah. Lee Pace in Guardians, which is my favorite Marvel movie. But yes, Mikkelsen, you know, he has he has a lot to say that's worthwhile right. to hear. I, I just, yeah, I, you know, I wish it would leave more of an, you know, I wish it would leave a Hiddleston impact as opposed to a, you know, whatever Pace was doing in that movie. So... Dance I believe off, the word though. is uh, Hiddlestonian. Yeah, Hiddlestonian. a little more Hiddlestonian. That would have been helpful. Yeah, what do you guys think of the casting in general? Did you, do you for one thing, do you like Benedict Cumberbatch? As, uh... Definitely. Yes. Yeah, he's fine. I, I definitely uh, like him. I actually was more curious about what you guys have to say about Tilda Swinton and not really the controversy, but just uh, I thought that they would explain that the ancient one kind of takes different forms and has been around for for year generations, millennia. I think. I think having Tilda Swinton, because Tilda Swinton herself is so androgynous, to say the least, when she plays various roles, it just, it feels like it almost doesn't matter. Now, that's unfair to a point. Obviously, it matters. But, I mean, as far as what, within the context of this movie, it seems like her presence kind of communicates that to me without her having to out loud and say it. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that does make sense. (laughs) Now, that's more of... I'm a person that, you know, knows these actors and sees them in different movies and has an understanding of who they are. It doesn't sure. take away from what the kind of the Marvel Studios decision was as far as casting choices and how that could affect various, you know, groups, ethnicities, what have you, and what their regard is for ways comics were written or ways people could, you know, advantages could have been taken in an effort to make it a more representative Marvel universe. But that's there's only so many ways to kind of discuss. Yeah, yeah. Like the ancient one is to me a lot like the Mandarin. Like in both cases, you know, you you have 
non-Asian actors. But when you think about it, like if the Mandarin had been played by had been played the way he was in the comics, then as sort of this Fu Manchu type, some people might think that was offensive. And like with the ancient one, if if you'd cast, you know, I don't know. Let's just go with Ken Watanabe's first uh-huh. one I can think sure. of. And, he was and, he was considered. You know, he was on the list of possible ancient ones. Yeah. Yes. And that's the thing is is while I'm sure he would have been interesting and I and there there would have been there could have been some people who'd said who'd who'd thought of the ancient one as played by like a a, an, a middle-aged or older Asian guy as a very specific type of stereotype and they wanted to avoid that. I don't know. It's it's just a thought that I had. It's basically what I'm saying is like there's a, someone's always going to be uh frustrated or offended sure. and so the question is okay so w- what do we do and i'd say trying to steer away from a stereotype is i could see from a studio standpoint that is probably the lesser of two evils on this case and you really it's a can't it's a can't win situation for them just because you know to, yeah. to tyler's point you know if you cast somebody in the stereotypical asian wise asian master role you know that's could be considered offensive and then you've got these folks that are upset that a that they feel like another Asian character has been recast uh, with a white actor. But I feel like if, if an error was made, it was made from a good place. You know, it's not the equal of casting, you know, Scarlett Johansson in ghost in the shell, for example, you know, this is kind of a very different thing, even if it's not really one that Marvel can, can win. Well, there are some interesting articles that Scott Derrickson's been, you know, he's been interviewed about this and he's been very open about how he acknowledges that he's, that there, there is an inherent mistake that's always going to be made with this kind of thing. And I'll see if I can link to, to one of those articles in the show notes. But yeah, it is a, I'm not going to say it's an impossible situation because I think with the right amount of thinking <laughs> that there is a way to kind of tackle these kind of things before they become an issue. But it's certainly not one that I'm in charge of, so I can only judge the movie right. on what it, what it's doing. Um they also uh, don't, don't the want me- to offend the Chinese because that's a big market. I mean, if you, you know, originally the ancient ones from Tibet. So yep. if you right. try to get into the whole Tibetan thing, then that's yeah, really guess, really guess what movie had a Chinese massive market. opening in China this weekend. Huge market. Yeah, huge market. <laughs> and in the meantime, you know, the character of uh, Baron Mordo in the comics was not black and they cast a, a black actor. And so, like, there's, you know, there's that side of it as well and the ancient one to my knowledge is not a woman in the uh in the original comics and so they cast a woman so like if you go at it from a different angle and then and then the character of wong is still there and but he's not a manservant anymore he's exactly he's like he's they, they made him more prominent he, he's more of like a manservant in the comics oh i see now okay. now he's a, you know he's a wise he's librarian mask he's a master slash librarian <laughs> yeah he's he's a figure of authority right I come Question. back to Cumberbatch a bit though because yeah, I, yeah. I I do not yeah he's fine like he's I, I I'm choosing to look at it more as like it seems as if like Cumberbatch is he's like when Downey played like Downey's playing Sherlock after Cumberbatch is already doing it in his Sherlock series it seems like Downey's getting back or Cumberbatch is getting back at Downey by playing a Tony Stark type character now <laughs> like it seems like they're that's that's how I'm choosing to look at it but facial I, but, like, hair battle. Right there. But when like when like Benjamin Bratt suddenly comes in the movie's like, well that would have been interesting if Benjamin Bratt was Doctor Like it just seems like there's there's other characters in this movie where I'm like, Well this would have been like I, I know what I, I know what Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange looks like. 
it sounds like and feels like already just because I get it. Like, that seems obvious to me. That seems on the nose. It's like, what if you did something more out there? Like, in a movie that's all about going out there. And it just kind of took away from what possible potential besides, all right, well, we need another white guy for these movies. You know who they should have cast? Macaulay Culkin. No, they shouldn't have done that. Tower, what are you saying? Well, I think, you know, when I think of, um, when I think of, like, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, I it, I can't separate the two. When I think of uh, Chris Evans as Captain America, I can't separate the two. Mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch did a very good job, if not a great job. But I can picture any number of other actors in that role. Whereas, uh-huh. like, by the end of the first Iron Man, it's like no one else can play this part. Right. Um same with Captain America and so and and other notable characters like that. They made they made the character their own and then Cumberbatch I think played the character very well, but I still don't see it as his character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, uh I apologize, but I'm actually going to have to go. I thought I was going to be feeling better, but I just uh I got to cut this short. I apologize. Okay. Okay. No worries. So uh, thanks so much for having me on, man, and I, I apologize for having to, to cut and run. No, okay, you've got through the – I want the you to feel better. Is there, yeah. before, you, before you take off, is there anywhere people can uh, find more of your work online you want to mention? Uh, you can find me online at twitter.com slash ilTwinAnarchist. Okay. Well, Adam, thank you very much for joining thanks, us. I'm Adam. glad we got your thoughts on Dr. Strange. I was glad to glad have you on here to talk about it. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Take care. Feel better. All right. And then there was one. <laughs> it's okay. The game, the game suits Games still work. So yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. That's, what, that's what ultimately matters in this podcast. Um, sure. With all of that being said, is there any other, any other thoughts on Doctor Strange before we wrap this part up? You know, some characters, I think, can bear out uh, several sequels. Um, whereas... And and the character can learn something new every time. Like Tony Stark, the nature of his character is such that with every new, for lack of a better term, adventure that he gets involved in individually or with the Avengers, he seems it seems to bring out more in that character. Uh, the character of Strange, I feel like the his, I feel like his arc is complete. And so if he were in another movie, I feel like there's not much you not much more you can do with that character except root for him. But I feel like he's done all the changing he can do. I think he has arrived at his final destination and there's really nowhere else he can go. So I want, so, I mean, obviously they set things up for like another Dr. Strange. Uh, and obviously he'll be a big part of, uh, the infinity war films, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but I, I find myself wondering, uh, what, uh, where the character goes from here, like on a, on an individual basis, like, do you think he's going, is he going to have his, like uh, another standalone movie? Well, yes, just cause that's the nature of these things. And it's, but, um, yeah. I mean, I, because I think, um, mild spoilers, but the comics make this are pretty clear about this. The, the Chiwetelegi for his Baron, uh, Baron Mordo character, he, he is a villain in the comics and it's, yeah, I, I, I'll be I'll be interested to see what that leads to down the way as far as kind of matching these two up against each other because of conflicting ideologies, because I think we get kind of a because the Mickelson character is so not bland, but, it, you know, it kind of 
it has a one it has a one track thing that Strange just kind of happens up upon. Mm-hmm. This one we've kind of we've seen these two kind of be together for the most part in this movie, which could you know has potential to lead to a could lead to some interesting places in the in a you know a preceding film that d- directly has these two fighting up against each other for how they perceive the universe to best be handled. Yeah, if that makes sense. Now it's... so. Uh, that's kind of the point that I was going to make earlier on, but I didn't want to go into spoiler territory, but uh, that's kind of the way that I would set up a villain, which is the Chutelagia 4 route. You know, uh, you get some backstory about uh, his particular, uh, I guess, issues with the the hero, and then you build upon it, right? Well, the the best examples I could think are Captain America, because Bucky is in that first movie, and then he's the Winter Soldier. And yeah, yeah, but, but now, Captain, Captain like. and Captain America—he's not a character that really evolves all that much. Like he's—he was a hero before he became Captain America. Like that—it's just in him. Yeah, but, yeah. But somehow, I think Chris Evans has been one of the better, you know. Oh, you and I—you and I like the philosophy char- of character America, components of this. Yeah, the, the better character components of this MCU, yeah. just because of his very earnest nature and sure. how he yeah. goes along things. He doesn't have a necessarily. Of, yeah, his just in arc terms of isn't all that, that you... spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, the way that you create a, a villain is that's how you would do it. You would you give them enough so that you can see both sides, which which was kind of a neat thing that they did with Green Lantern as well, but they didn't – I mean, unfortunately, that movie wasn't very good. Um, but the way that they set up Sinestro, which, uh, you know, he, he's part of the, the Green Lantern crew, and then he just decides to become bad after learning about a few things. Wait, but He gets a taste of yellow. Yeah. So anyway, but that's that's, that's a, the question that's a weird I had movie. <laughs> the the, the LJ four character. <coughs> okay. Yeah, and I don't think they're I don't think they're ever going to make Mordo the type of character that he was in the comics because when, in this it makes him, but you know, I guess staying away from spoilers, but it makes him seem like more of a purist uh, and an ideologue, whereas in the comics, I mean. Mordo was like a full-on like pupil he's, of like Dormammu, you know. He, he's more and mustache. So I don't morally. think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it, honestly like the the Mordo in the comics is a lot more like Mads Mikkelsen in this film, mm. uh, and so I feel like uh, I can't imagine this version of Mordo arriving at like oh I'm going to be the pupil of Dormammu like it's just not possible, mm-hmm. um, considering where he started. So it, is, but I do like the note that the character goes out on that, like, Oh, and I won't, I won't say the last, uh, I won't say his last line, uh, for, you know, to, I don't want to spoil it for listeners, but, uh, but it's a really nice note to go out on the like, okay, I think I have a really clear idea of what this character is going to want to do and how that is going to interfere with what Dr. Strange is doing. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. Yeah, so as far as necessitating uh, more development of a character arc, no, I don't think Strange has much more to do to become any more enlightened as a as a you know a person. But yeah. similar to something like I don't know, like a bat, like the like the Dark Knight. I, I don't say Bruce Wayne's journey is all that different in the Dark Knight. It's just more of he just has to be Batman now, and it becomes very difficult for him. And I feel like the next Doctor Strange movie would be less about Strange beyond learning new spells or whatever in some ancient book that he has to seek out no doubt there you know it's less about him becoming a a character that's even less ego driven or something like that and more of just he has to face much more decidedly tougher challenges now hopefully that still leads to an interesting film and not just bigger spectacle we can all hope that but 
I wouldn't necessarily be dissatisfied to not learn or to not see Strange learn more personally. Mm-hmm. And now that I think about it, you know, you mentioned the Dark Knight, um, and I definitely, I actually do think that they they give Batman some interesting notes to play. And I think are, yeah, I'm, have... I'm 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 underplaying some of it. I'm just speaking abbreviated to a point. But yeah. And if there were a second Doctor Strange, I think it would actually feel much the same. Which is, it's like okay, the character is this. So now what does it actually mean to be that? Like maybe Strange is forced to make some compromises as the ancient one did um, to to make his his, you know, to make his position work just as, you know, Batman had to figure out in the Dark Knight. Like, what does it mean to be this symbol? Does it yeah. do I unmask myself? Like, how far do I go with this? And I feel like that's that is where I guess there's the implications of what they're doing. I guess that's what you can explore in a sequel. Yeah. Okay, so I think we've talked plenty about Doctor Strange, and so we'll just wrap this up with uh, when should people go and see this movie? Abe, when should people see this movie? Well, I saw it on IMAX 3D, and I think it's definitely worth the IMAX 3D, but uh, it definitely is a theater film. Tyler, when should people go and see Doctor Strange? Uh, Yeah, definitely in the theater, and I would actually, it's rare for me to say this, but I would say, yeah, 3D. Yeah, I agree. I think the 3D is, you know me with 3D, listeners. (laughs) <laughs> let me let me take. I think they know both my, of us with 3D. Let me put let me put on my smoking jacket and put the dim lights real quick. Listeners, it's me, Aaron. Um, you know me with 3D, and I, I'm certainly one that likes it when it applies itself to the narrative in some way. And I do think this is a movie that really takes advantage of both what that has to offer visually and what it has to offer from a story perspective. Absolutely, yeah. All right, so that was plenty about Doctor Strange. Let's move on now. Let's get to uh, let's get to our sponsor real quick. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Why Audible, you ask? It's a good question. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and other similar programs for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any kind of MP3 device. Additionally, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook download of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast, choose a book to download for free, and start listening. It's just that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast and get started today. Be a winner. And read. Or listen at audibletrial.com. All right. Enough of that. Let's move on to feedback. Feedback, feedback. Feedback. This is where I go over the various questions and answers from our Facebook page, facebook.com. Where we ask a number of questions for our listeners to supply answers for. And usually they ask us some questions. We didn't get any questions this week, Abe. No, I didn't see any either. Yeah, But, yeah. you know, it's okay. It's all right. These things come out at odd times. People could be watching TV and not notice our, our latest out and out updates on the Facebook page. I feel as they probably still have Halloween hangover. With that said, we're going to throw out these questions here. Uh, Tyler, feel free to lend in your answers if you have any. I'll do my best. Okay. First question, pretty straightforward. What did you think of Doctor Strange? Jay writes, I loved it. It might be my favorite Marvel, Marvel origin story since Iron Man. We just talked about it, so we're good there. Uh, who are your favorite movie magicians? Jay writes, Presto from the Pixar short of the same name. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Uh, Justin writes, J. Daniel Atlas. Sure. And Philip writes, Hal from Hal's Moving Castle. Another good answer. Favorite movie magician. Surprise, nobody wrote Burt Wonderstone. I'm not. I know. (laughs) Unless Marcus wrote it. No. (laughs) Do you have one, Aaron? I'm thinking favorite favorite movie magicians. I really, well, I'm a big fan of the film The Illusionist. 
not the not and I say that not the Edward Norton film The Illusionist, but the Sylvain Chomet animated film The Illusionist. So mm-hmm. I I lean on that one. Okay. Yeah, no real answer there. I do like. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Disney film The Sword in the Stone. Yeah. And so uh, that representative of that representation of Merlin, I think, is is pretty good. How about Anthony Hopkins in Magic? I didn't mm. see that one. I okay. didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question we asked everybody. Jafar. What? Jafar is a pretty. <laughs> is he a magician or a sorcerer? Does it matter? He's doing magic. Uh, okay. All right. Somebody's gonna have to write in on that and clarify for us. Willow. Willow's a good. I just, I just thought of Willow. I just thought of that one. <laughs> I'm not again. Uh, anyhow, the next question we asked everybody: What actor would you cast to play your personal mentor? Uh, Jay writes: J.K. Simmons or Stephen Lang. I feel they'd be terrifying uh, and terrify me into being motivated and getting stuff done for fear of their wrath if I failed. Manish has Denzel Washington. Philip has like Idris Elba. Like remember the Titans, Denzel Washington. Or Training Day, Denzel Washington. We don't know. Manish, you have to oh, clarify way, for yeah. us. Yeah, there's some, there's One's going to kill you. The other one is going to teach you to be a man. Uh, uh, Philip has Idris Elba, so we could hang out and enhance my personal coolness through osmosis. Scott has Larry David. He's my doppelganger. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, Justin has Jim Carrey. Play my mentor. Play my mentor? Lawrence Fishburne in um, Morpheus mode. You know, when he was still not fat. You know, so just is he wearing sunglasses or no sunglasses? Of course he's wearing sunglasses. Okay. All right. I'd I say, uh, like, uh, I think uh, a, a good mentor is uh, Robert Duvall. Which form of Robert almost Duvall? anything? Almost anything. Okay. The judge. Yeah. The judge. I didn't see. I actually didn't see that one. Oh, okay. You don't I need to. Miss, he he played Joseph Stalin once. Let's go with that. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Okay. I was going to go Boo Radley, but, you know, that's fine. Too. He's a really good yeah, mentor. Yeah. Uh, next question we ask here, where would you want to have a magic battle, and what weapons would you have? Justin writes, Old West with a big steampunk spider, because he wants to taunt us with his Wild Wild West fandom. <laughs> uh, Philip does not specify a location, but he writes a fireball, of course. And that makes sense to me. A magic battle? Mm-hmm. Basement of, of uh, the, the uh, game store. A basement of the game store, okay. Magic, the card game. I'd say in a hall of mirrors. Ooh, that's like a in, good one. Like in uh, <laughs> the Bruce Lee movie? That'd be pretty neat. Uh, Bruce Lee or what um, What the, the lady from Shanghai? Or yeah. The, the Shadow. The, my, my three go-to the movie Shadow. mirrors movie. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the three. <laughs> I love the shadow. I like the shadow. By the way, the shadow remind the Doctor Strange reminded me a lot of the shadow as far as uh, character arc and even character type. And cape. <laughs> and cape. I didn't yeah. have that thought. No, I, because I, yes, because I'm not one to forget the shadow because I'm a big fan of the '90s uh, period superhero movies in general. Mm-hmm. That that is one that certainly came to mind often while I was watching Doctor Strange. Yeah. Even the use of the city, while it's not bending, there is there is some. There's some mystical stuff that happens to convince people of things that aren't happening around them in the shadow that I yeah. found yeah. to be similar. I mean, the shadow is the guy with the invisible hotel headquarters, right? Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm referring to. Um, yeah. Well, that's not him. That's that's the villain. But, but that's yes, the villain. That's... Yes, oh, it's yes. the villain. But yeah, okay. Chang- 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 Khan's descendant. Or... 
um, whether whether the performance was good or not, what are some examples of casting that feels almost too on the nose? Jay writes Kate Winslet in The Reader, just a couple of years after her play a Nazi to win an Oscar acceptance in Extras. <laughs> <laughs> also, John Malkovich in Being John Malkovich. <laughs> I don't know if you can really get, get by that one, though. It's a fun answer. Uh, Philip writes Steve Martin in Roxanne. Get it? On the nose. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. Scott writes Jack Nicholson in The Witches of Eastwick. And Justin writes Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. I don't know if there was anybody that was like on the – oh, actually, Jim Carrey in, in uh, uh, Lemony Snicket. I was like, that, that's pretty on the nose for him to be playing that character. Like, feels like uh, – Yeah, it feels like something he would he would just normally do. Did you read those books? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember if I read the first one. I, I didn't read the, the entire series. I saw the – do you see the trailer for the new one with Neil Patrick? No, I didn't. No, is it good? It's, I mean, it's a trailer. It's fine. Okay. I, I put a Netflix seems to be doing quite well for themselves, so I don't have a reason to think it's going to be terrible. Uh-huh. He's also a magician, by the way. Just throwing that out there. I, uh, I, I think that. I think Pat, uh, Patrick Stewart as Professor X was pretty yeah. on those casting. It's uh, good, yeah, obviously. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but yeah, that nails it. Yeah. All right. All right, last question we asked everybody. What are your favorite films featuring characters about uh, having an out-of-body experience? Um, Jason has the Lego movie, which is a pretty tremendous answer. Uh, Philip has Robert Zemeckis' A Christmas Carol. And Justin has Frighteners, original Flatliners. And does The Matrix count? And yes, I'm going to say it counts. That, yeah, that's like the ultimate example of out-of-body experiences. Uh, Frighteners was on my list of things because that one makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, Donnie Darko, go, Ghost Dad, obviously. That's a, Ghost Dad. Um, <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> Speaking of ghost movies, just Ghost. Um, Fight Club um, is another. That's probably one of the ultimate out of body experiences. The uh, Last Temptation of Christ. There you go. Yeah. Do people? Do we think people talk about that movie enough? No. I feel like Scorsese, uh, as far as the movies that people know, can be split into two categories. One is like ensemble mob movie and the other is loner, um, you know, like an, a loner who's an outsider. And uh-huh. Last Temptation of Christ definitely falls into that. Um, but because it's Jesus, it, it definitely has a, a different connotation as well. Um, sure. But, yeah, that's one that uh, Last Temptation is my favorite Scorsese film. Um, and. It is one that when people are talking about Scorsese, it's the one that they tend not to mention, even if they like it. It just doesn't spring to mind the way, you know, Mean Streets or Goodfellas Kundun. does. Or, that's a big one. Or The Age of Innocence, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, but Last Temptation, which definitely does feel more like a Scorsese film than the others. Oh, but, yes, uh, I would agree. But yeah, as, but I will say that yes, I I would agree that uh, we as a as a, a film lovers community and I'd say the world do not talk about Last Temptation of Christ enough. Because I think because I think last time you were on this podcast, you you asked about Jeremy Irons and if people know Jeremy Irons for certain films and not others. Does that sound familiar? Right. Yes. Yes. Um, it's, uh, I don't recall the, that, but sure. Well, I, well. But I thought that was a good question. That, that that kind of makes me think of something like this, where it's like that that is a very notable movie and certainly faced its share of controversy in its day and is very accomplished for yeah. what it's trying to do or whatnot. But it's not one that, you know, it's not one that seems to enter the 
like you're saying, the conversation very much when you talk about an acclaimed director like Scorsese who's done way more than just mob movies and yet only gets recognized for certain things. When people talk about it, they do tend to talk about it as a function of its controversy, which is a bummer because I think the film can actually can very much exist outside of that. It's notable mm-hmm. for more than being condemned by the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, on that note, let's. Uh, that was feedback. <laughs> feedback. 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 Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to uh, what Abe, what uh, what time is it? I think it's time for some games. That was actually the impromptu theme for when Doctor Strange learns that uh, he's in a car accident. Exactly. That's that's the tone that plays in my improv theme for games. Um, I have a game for you guys this week. Yep. It is called Anybody Call a Doctor or <laughs> Is There a Doctor in the House? Wait, wait I wrote it's this, called I wrote both this, of those things? Well, I wrote the first one with a question mark, and I wrote the second one with an exclamation point and a question mark. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is a game where I'm going to read quotes from move, from doctors in movies. Okay. So doctor characters in movies, and you're going to have to guess the movie, and bonus points if you guess the exact character name. Okay. All right, bonus points more as far as, as far as effort. Not, not, right. not, 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 but if you get it right. So just if you think you know the answer, buzz in with your name by yelling Tyler, and then what you think the movie would be. Okay. Um, okay. I had fun making this. I think this will be fun. So let's let's do this. I think you you can do this. You can do this. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'm not feeling I'm not feeling particularly uh, sharp today. So we'll see <laughs> well, how it goes. Well, here's the first, here's the first one. It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Tyler. Yes. Uh, airplane. Airplane is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. That is Doctor Rumack. Leslie. I didn't Wilson. remember the name of the character, but yeah. I, yeah, some of them, the names will not come to mind as easily. Here we go. Here's the next one. If my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious Tyler. shit. Tyler. Back to the Future, Doc Brown. Back to the Future is the correct answer. And yes, it is Dr. Brown. <laughs> Dr. Emmett Brown, pardon me. Yes, that, all of that is correct. Here's the next one. I met this six-year-old child with the blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes. Tyler. The devil's eye. Yes? Uh, Halloween Dr. Loomis. That is the correct answer. <laughs> now totally rocking it. I will finish the quote now because it's a long quote. Right. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized what was living behind those boys' eyes was purely and simply evil. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Here's that's what you, one. that's what you want in your good psychiatrist is for them to just declare their patient <laughs> oh, yeah. evil, to tell you that you're evil. Yeah. Based on the fact that they're not speaking to you, by the way. <laughs> like there's no, there's no... <laughs> here's the next one. Yes, in case you're wondering, I'm a southpaw. I'm not a cripple. I'm a scientist, and I'm the world's most foremost authority in herpetology. That's reptiles. For those of you who don't know. Hmm. Tyler. Yes. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man. The Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. Okay. Dr. Kurt. Dr. Kurt Connors. Dr. Kurt Connors is correct. Abe, you got to catch up here. I know it's played by. Reese Ifans. Reese Notable for the replacements, The Amazing Spider-Man, and getting arrested for being drunk at Comic-Con. All right, moving on to the next one. All right. 
They're not Swedish, Mac. They're Norwegian. Tyler. Tyler. The thing. The thing. And the it's, runaway uh, game. Doc, it's uh, Doc Copper, I believe. It is Doc Copper, yes. There's two doctors, Dr. Copper and Dr. Blair. And yes, it is Doc Copper. Played by the awesome and unfortunately forgotten Richard Dysart. He gets a bad death in that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, he does. That's, that's the scare that gets me every single... I've seen The Thing yeah. so many times, yet every single time I watch that movie, I forget, the amount, I forget the exact amount of like pumps he does on the chest or whatever before it opens up. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the next one. Take the fucking elephant! <laughs> I'm killing it in impressions today, by the way, guys. I'm sorry. I think they're okay. <laughs> uh, Tyler, and I'm going to guess. Yes? Medicine Man? It's incorrect. Damn. Take the fucking elephant. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, don't we know. got it. Thank you. Yeah. The correct answer is Dark Man. Liam Neeson as Dr. Peyton Westlake. Okay, okay, that sounded like Sean Connery to me. They both have accents. <laughs> Here's the next one. Okay. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am, but listen, Henry... While you were digging in your graves, piecing together dead tissue, I, my dear pupil, went for the material to source, to, went for my material to source of life. I grew creatures, like cultures, grew them as na nature does, from seed. Tyler? Yes? You say the bride of Frankenstein, Dr. Pretorius. That is correct. Boom! I think it's like 7-0. It's, yep. Still got more of these. All right. I went all over the timeline, uh, You have by the 23 way. I, I, more. Yeah, I was happy to go through all different years to find these movies to pick out for you guys. Don't look for it, Taylor. You may not find what you like. You Tyler. may sorry. You may not like what you find. <laughs> I said that backwards. Yeah. <laughs> you may not find what you like. Uh, that is Planet of the Apes, Doctor Zayas. That is Doctor Zayas. Doctor Zayas. Doctor Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. <laughs> I couldn't before. <laughs> let's just this do that for the next 40 minutes <laughs> this, this show has everything <laughs> here's the next one symmetrical book stacking just like the philadelphia mass turbulence of 1947 abe, abe? ghostbusters ghostbusters is the correct Spectre answer abe, you're on the board that's doc doctor i believe that's yeah. dr uh ray yeah. stance yeah that's yeah. uh, dan Aykroyd's character dan Aykroyd, yeah Symmetrical books. I'm glad that nailed it right away for you. <laughs> Alright. Here's the next one. Too bad the Hovitos don't know you the way I do, Belloc. Tyler. Tyler. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. Dr. Jones. Exactly. <laughs> Here's the last one. Yeah. Which will make or break the game, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Retired. The details of my life are quite inconsequential. Very well, where do I begin? My father was a rent limit. Okay. Awesome Powers International Man of Mystery, Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil is a great <laughs> answer. All right. Tyler. I've got, one for, I've got one for you. Hang on. I've got okay. one for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, let me see if I can get this right. Okay. Uh, and, and by the way, this line might give you a hint as to what this is uh the line is the doctor is in <laughs> i'm gonna guess you know? 
Dr. Giggles? You are correct. It's Dr. Giggles. Boom! <laughs> I think it was the laugh that gave it away. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to be an active part of the show. I like it. I, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I'm still recovering from it. I'm glad you got that, the, uh, the, uh, the Larry Drake connection here where we can... Yeah, it's one of the only impressions I can do is Larry Drake. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Tyler, congratulations on winning that game. You did a tremendous job. Thank you. Abe, better luck next time. Thanks. (laughs) You let me win. (laughs) Let you win? I I named quotes that both of you had a fair chance of guessing. (laughs) I would would say that I only knew like half of those quotes, but you were just fast to buzz in. My buzzer wasn't working. That's what I'm going to blame it on. Let's move on now. Let's get down. Now presents what's out now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray and DVD this week. And I got a few here. Uh, first up, Sausage Party. Heard it was good. Tyler, not a fan. I didn't see it. Very, uh, it's uh, very lazy. Okay. Uh, Morse from America uh, comes out this week, which I mentioned earlier. And I know quickies. I'd, uh, I'd recommend that one. Uh, Indignation. This is one with Logan Lerman. That I did not see. He plays. Uh, uh, I, I believe he's a he's like a, he's he's a he's a Jewish man who goes to college in a very I believe like a Christian college. If I'm not. Oh, I think I might like have seen the trailer for this, but I'm gonna pass. Uh, let's see. Kickboxer Vengeance. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a movie that's now out of Blu-ray DVD. Uh, Daredevil season one. Um, for those that I guess don't have Netflix yeah, or, like, or just hey, really want to buy Netflix. Daredevil, because yeah. there's there's no extras on it. I know that, so it's just basically buying the show. Uh, let's see, Billions season that makes no sense to buy. Like I mean, <laughs> like a subscription to Netflix costs less than buying the season on Double Blue. Yeah, but you can't <laughs> physically touch it. You're, that's that's true. Billions season one uh, comes on DVD, Blu-ray this week. It's a Showtime series with Paul Giamatti and oh, okay. uh, Damian Lewis like, from Homeland. Oh, yeah. yeah familiar. Uh, let's see. Black Sails, season three. Into the Badlands, season one. A lot of TV this week's Blu-ray <laughs> <laughs> DVD. Uh, more films. Bubba Hotep, Scream Factory Collector's Edition. Heard it was good yeah, from, uh, from our last conversation. Yeah, no, we talked about it in our horror episode on horror comedies, and yes, I'm a big fan of Bubba Hotep. Uh, let's see. The Goodbye Girl on uh, Warner Archive comes out this week. Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, it's a good movie. Yeah. yeah. He won Best Actor for that. He did. Uh, let's see. The Rush Hour Trilogy has a new Blu-ray release this week. First one was better than the rest. That's a thing. <laughs> um, let's see. On Criterion this week, Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, people may know this as Shogun Assassin, uh, but Lone Wolf oh, and Cub okay. is a, is a six-movie uh, series uh, featuring a, a I believe I believe I can't remember if he's like a Ronin or just a just an assassin type character who's who travels around with a with a carriage that contains his son and they go on adventures. Um, the the Shogun Assassin I believe it combines like three two or three of those movies into like one film like one ninety minute film. Um, which oh that that always maybe there's a joke in not a joke but there's a part in Kill Bill Volume Kill Bill. Two yeah. where um where. BB is where asking they, to, to where BB, watch yeah, movies. BB asked Bill. Bill BB asked like, "Can we watch a movie?" He's like, "Can we watch Shogun Assassin?" That that made me laugh out loud because I knew exactly what that was. Yeah. Joe continues. He's like, "No, that's too long." Yeah. 
But that's uh, you can get all six of those movies that are now out in Criterion Collection. And lastly, Taxi Driver, speaking of Scorsese, 40th anniversary Blu-ray edition is now out. Uh, the worst movie of the decade. Yeah, <laughs> that's what people say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe the transfer is not new, but there is like another, like a couple new special features on that for those interested in another Blu-ray copy of Taxi Driver. So uh, there you go. Uh, let's see. Extremely cool. These are things that are now on Netflix that we can recommend. Um, I haven't watched this yet, but I know The Crown is a new series that's on Netflix. Um, I'm very excited for it. Actually, it's yeah. kind of interesting, yeah. And um, there's a new documentary called The Ivory Game that's now on Netflix, uh, mm. which goes over the you know horrible ivory trade that goes on involving elephants and whatnot in Africa. Um, oh, it's not about ivory bar soap? No, it's not. <laughs> but I know Netflix does. They do a pretty good job with their documentaries, or at least I guess uh, the ones they acquire and distribute on their platform. So uh, I'm curious to look into that one as well. Uh, that was extremely cool. Next week's show. Next week we'll be talking Arrival, the newest film from director Dennis Villeneuve, from uh, starring uh, Amy Adams, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Renner, and uh, Forrest Whitaker. That's going to be on the docket for next week's show. And the uh, last thing we do here now, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Tyler, what should people go and see in theaters right now? Well, sadly, I haven't seen much beyond Doctor Strange and the uh, aforementioned uh, Manchester by the Sea. But when that movie does come out, uh, check out Manchester by the Sea. But uh, prepare your sh- yourself emotionally, because it's uh, pretty rough. What do you plan to see next? I'm I'm really not sure. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm curious about Hacksaw Ridge. That actually might be a priority. Mm. Okay. Abe, what should people go and see in theaters right now? Uh, you should, I think go check out Doctor Strange if you haven't already. And if you have, then go check out uh, uh, some of the smaller films that are out there that might be closing out their circuit, like Hill or High Water. And uh, coming up next is uh, USS Indianapolis: Men of Courage. So <laughs> can't wait to see uh, Kevin Costner. Is it Kevin Costner or is it Nick Cage? No, it's, it's Nick Cage. Nick Cage. <laughs> Can't wait to see him kill it. But, uh, yeah, probably going to go see Arrival. I'm also curious about Billy Lynn. So I'm curious as to what format people would recommend watching that. Um, I would recommend, if you could find Loving, I know that's in limited release this week. Uh, that's quite good. Uh, Moonlight has been in release, and so that's very good. And, uh, yeah, Doctor Strange, obviously, if you... Haven't got around to checking that one out in, uh, in 3Ds yet. And uh, next up, what am I seeing? I'm seeing 20th Century Woman next, the new Annette Benning. Mike, It's uh, from director Mike Mills, who did oh, Beginners, yeah. which, which I quite look, liked, actually. So, but Yeah, that's uh, well, that out of the way. That's going to do it for this week's episode of About Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. You can find all my written movie reviews, as well as on wisoblue.com for Blu-ray reviews. You can also find me on Twitter, at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Find more fun stuff over at twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag gocubsgo, uh, and Instagram, okdokly. Tyler Smith, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me at battleshippretension.com, where I have a couple of reviews. Uh, uh, oh, wait, no, that's not right. Uh, I have re- I have a couple of new reviews over at uh, morethanonelesson.com, but at Battleship Retention, you can find... Uh, our podcast, I believe by the time this goes up, our most recent episode features uh, actor Jason Gladstone and then uh, actor-director Bill Duke, which is very exciting. Bill Duke! Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, more than one lesson, I have uh, a review of, oh, Doctor Strange. And then I also, I, I'm in, I'm in uh, grad school right now, and so anything that I write, 
if it get, if it gets an okay grade, I just post it on my website as well. <laughs> so uh, so I had to I had to write like a short uh, a very short analysis of uh, Night of the Hunter, and so uh, that's at uh, morethanonelesson.com. dot com. Nice. Well, we I got, got an A, a minus. Uh, okay. not, yeah, not Brad. You just need the extra gratification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Uh, you can find all the other episodes about now out there in Nave over on iTunes as well as on Audio Boom. You can also write to us over at uh, – I'm sorry. You can also listen to us over at HHWLOD, SoundCloud, and Podomatic. You can write to us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com. Let us know any thoughts you had on Doctor Strange or anything else we talked about today. Or we can continue writing to us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. You can tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. Or you can feel free to send us a bunch of uh, infinity gifts over at our podcast yes. Tumblr page, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, that'd be plenty of fun that we'd eventually see. Uh, Tyler, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. For sure. Uh, thanks again to Adam Gentry for joining us yeah. earlier on as well. And uh, that's going to do it for this week's uh, episode. So until we you know, arrive at our destination for next week, that's, uh, that's it. So, so long. And bye. I was on top of the world, living high, was right in my pocket. I was living the life, things were just the way they should be. When from out of the sky like a bomb comes some little punk in a rocket. Now all of a sudden, some strange things are happening to me. Best I can carry on. I had power, I was respected, but not anymore. And I've lost the love, the one who my door. Let me tell you about a strange thing that happened to me. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. (laughs) I couldn't before.